Blog Talk Radio.
Now judgment comes upon the lost. No time to waste, run to the cross. Drunk old lies of this age. Feels too smart to believe. Trade their future for the lust. Blindly passing, they call you to join them. Fall into the order that Satan has designed. Men getting ready to sell their soul for a chance to receive his mark. the challenges, the learning experiences that many of us have gone through over the years. And we thank you for the days that we're in right now, especially because they grow uh, more and more more and more in, in a topic of conversation that we can share with other people and help them to awaken as long as we deliver it in a very careful manner. So many people are awakening, Father. We see your mercy taking place across the world. We, we, I personally am experiencing it through the testimonies of many that have written me, and I just praise you for it. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to have awakened when we did awaken and being in a place with an open heart, an open mind, an open soul, an open spirit, absolutely full of your scripture, absolutely gushing to be closer to you in every possible way, uh, drawing into that secret place of the Most High, uh, during the time that we have with you in prayer, in privacy, with the lights out and no sounds outside in the dark. It's just an awesome place to be, Father, and we just praise you for the relationship that we have grown to enjoy and and, and to derive peace and also ultimately trust in you, knowing that you have everything in full control. We thank you, Father, for every one of these things, for choosing us before the foundations of the world for a time such as this. Again, we will never completely understand that until it's explained to us in glory. We thank you, Father, for preparing our hearts, our minds, our soul, our spirit, for washing clean all of the iniquity, blotting it all out of our books of remembrance, our robe and gown in heaven, and we just pray for an anointing of your faith, anointing of your trust to come upon us, Father, because we know the benefits, the incredible benefits of your divine protection and supernatural peace, that which just surpasses 
surpasses all understanding. And we, we, we just want it to be a part of our makeup, uh, uh, just, uh, just to be imbued into the very energies that make up our existence in this hologram as we await the arrival of our Lord Jesus to take us away from this planet as, it, as we see it physically and in every sense of the word deteriorating uh, you know, before our very eyes. We know these are the end times. We know, know the things that are happening around about us are things that Jesus warned us about in the Olivet Discourse. We believe with all of our heart that we have clearly entered into Revelation 6 and the scrolls are rolling out in parallel even as we speak. And we praise you for this, Father. We know it could take some time. We need to have a supernatural peace upon our hearts and to draw in closer to you and to look at this as a wonderful and glorious, merciful opportunity for each and every one of us to be able to do more for you, Lord Jesus, than, than we could have ever imagined since the days that we were just just awakening to the dynamics that are unfolding in the world today. We give you all the praise, glory, honor. We worship you, Father, for the, the tomorrow, the next day, the next day, all of the challenges at our workplaces, all of the challenges in the world that will be presented to us. And we thank you, Father, for moving ahead with the end times. We praise you for any uh, periods of respite that we get along the journey. And we just we are excited about the days that we are in right now. And we just pray, Father, for your divine touch upon each of our lives. May you anoint us with your presence, with the countenance, with, your, with, the, with the peace and, and the love and the power and the authority of our Lord Jesus that you have given us through that cross. In Jesus' mighty name, we praise you and thank you. Hallelujah and amen. Watch and pray For I would come for you one day I gave you my word so you would know The time I'd come and take you home It's time for you to look around The signs I gave for coming down Don't be called a sleeping blind You don't want to be left Come and be home 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 Come and be home. Come and be holy. 
Well, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Boy, we have a lot of stuff to get out. We don't want to hold up Brother uh, Jerry Robinson. Uh, We've had him on the show before. It's been a mighty blessing. And uh, tonight will be nothing less and certainly a lot more. We believe in the anointing of of, of this message. Praise God, because it may be, bar none, the single most important message for the body of Christ, particularly in the United States of Babylon the Great, uh, to embrace. Uh, I pray very frequently uh, that our Heavenly Father will uh, turn uh, any weapon uh, or any earthly weapon uh, into a bright red hot. I want it, I want it, I want those guns, I want those uh, knives, I want all of the earthly weapons to just to turn into like molten lava in the hands of the people that would attempt to use them to protect them not only from the potential of uh, committing a sin that's irreversible and maybe even could preclude them from making it into heaven ultimately. Uh, that's not for me to decide. That's for the Lord to decide. But, um, you know, the words that I see on in my Bible certainly, you know, the, you know indicate that it's, it's, an, it's an egregious act at the very least. So anyway, uh, praise God and thank you, Jesus. You can't shoot your way into heaven. And that's, that's the crux of the matter. And we're so blessed to have Brother uh, Jerry Robinson bringing that message to uh, confirm, you know, it's, it, you know, the more believers that there are that the Lord brings forward to confirm a particular fact that is highly scriptural, uh, the more people that are saved from the inevitable fleshy act of committing such awful, horrific sins. And the very belief that it's okay to do so is by its own definition an iniquity and an affront against our Father and the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's so many verses that substantiate this that really it, it, it's, it's a never-ending. I mean, you could do several shows on this uh, particular topic alone, and I have have, in fact. All right. And uh, praise God. So uh, we're very blessed to have Brother Jerry joining us tonight. And I just thank Jesus because this is I want to save people from themselves. I want to save them from the misgivings that they have. Uh, you know, if, you, if, if somebody was born in a particular country and that particular country uh, heavily promoted, you know, like this one does now, uh, a particular, you know, we this country has fallen so far that we promote Oh my, let's see. Well, I can't even tell, I can't, I can't guess, but LGBT element of P, trip to hell. Uh, guns in the hands of Christians, trip to hell. I mean, the list just goes on and on. We, you know, we are literally being run into the ground by the Antichrist himself, in my opinion. Uh, now, if you want to believe Donald Duck is the Antichrist, I'll go for it. Praise Jesus. If you want to, you know, whatever you want to believe. Uh, you, you know, I, this, this, this program, and, and again, when we do get around, and for, if, if we are so blessed to be able to have another call-in show, and there's enough people that actually do call in, we had two great calls on the last call-in show. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see what the next one brings us. Um, you know, if there's no callers, then there's no point in doing a call-in show. But, um, you know, it, it, you know we're, we're not going to ever, you know, say, no way, that's impossible. You know, because um, I really believe in 1 Corinthians 8, too. If anyone thinks they know anything, they know not, nothing yet, as they ought to know. And I believe that with all of my heart. And I think that we should all have those open hearts, that those open um, souls and spirits that can be blessed and anointed with God's wisdom. Okay, as it says in uh, it doesn't actually say God's wisdom, but I mean, the implication is clearly from God because our wisdom is, you know, crummy. Okay, to say the least. Anyway, praise God. So we're very happy about that. We also have Brother Sammy Wongi coming on. He'll probably go live right around 10 minutes to the hour. So that gives me very little time to cover the material that I'm going to try to cover. uh, And a lot of it will most likely have to roll into the next program, which is. 
that's how it goes, right? <laughs> you know? If I if I was blessed, you know, if if a stork came flying over my house going ah ah and dropped like this big suitcase full of cash on my don't we all wish that? Don't we all? Don't we all wish we could get up in the morning and hear a stork flying and then a thump on our front porch and we go out and go, well, what do you know? Here's a two point five billion dollars in cash. Look at all those Ben Franklins. You know what should I do with this? Of course, you know many of us would be like, okay, this is impossible, and then we we do the ethical thing and call the police and they take it away from us and then they give us a thank you check for ten dollars <laughs> enjoy your ten dollars you might be able to buy a cantaloupe over at uh, Publix on sale all right praise god thank you jesus but anyway kids are you there all righty yes kids it is your time of the night because we have guests and we want to make sure we try to get to them as uh timely as possible right kids all right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So, kids, here we go. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, my gosh. I got all these. Thank you, Sister Mary Lee, for all these wonderful things for the kids, all these kids' uh, puzzles and challenges for the mind. All right, kids, why do you go to bed every night? Kids, why do you go to bed every night? Because your bed won't come to you. <laughs> Kids, come on. Come on, kids. You didn't have to think about Spanky, what was on that note that you were holding up? Spanky, you're you're up to no good. I don't know. You, you must be too excited about all the things that are going on around the world. You you guys are are definitely Jesus kids because only Jesus kids would get excited about pestilence and famine and wars and rumors of wars and, and signs in the sun and the moon and the star seas roaring, right kids? <laughs> all right. Is why we know we're getting out of here, don't we? <laughs> I know, and it's going to be like way better than Christmas, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah! Can you imagine all the incredible presents and things that Jesus has? Even the scripture says that you know, we can't even imagine in our wildest imagination how the, the things that our Heavenly Father has stored up for those of us who love Him isn't that exciting? Can you imagine? <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. That gets even that gets even your parents and your parents' 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 parents excited. Let's hear a praise offering for Jesus. We're getting out of here, amen. Because that's what we really want. But we want to be working. We don't want to be sitting on our hands, amen. We want to be doing what we ought to be doing for Jesus. And if you can't think of anything other than praying, well, guess what? It's not other than praying. Praying's at the top of the list powerful, mighty anointing that we have all been given through our prayer, spiritual warfare, on behalf of the lost across the world. So if you want to expedite the fullness of the Gentiles being brought, being, being called in or brought in, then by golly, pray! Pray for the lost every single morning when you get up. Spend some time on your knees. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, kids, you ready for the next one? How many apples grow on a tree? Think about it. Is it 10, 20? I, spanky? <laughs> On the tablet, how many apples grow on a tree? All of them do. <laughs> you know, all the apples do. There's, there's none of, okay. Don't have to work. Yeah, that wants it too hard. All right, good deal. Kids, what do you call a can opener that doesn't work? What do you call a can opener that does not work? Your mother's? <laughs> Just joking, kids. That wasn't, that was not the kids. Kids, you guys are too, way too pumped. All right, kids, what do you call a can opener that doesn't work? It's a can't opener. 
you liked it better when it was your mom's, right? <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, on that note, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's not normal. It's just wrong. All right, now, um, I know I'm pressed for time, and and this is a time user upper, but that's okay. This is really important. I've stumbled across another led by God. I don't know. Led by the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Led by happenstance. Could be. Uh, But I will say that as I was putting together the show notes, I stumbled across this message from another one of those like, um, oh, boy, this is a big deal kind of thing. And by the way, this aligns, this message, by the way, from Glenn Beck. It's entitled, The Terrifying Powers Biden May Have Under a Climate Emergency. Now, keep in mind now, folks, that this goes right along side by side with what I played in the last show, uh, you know, with Alex Jones flipping out over the H.R. 4350 bill that's, you know, expected to pass through the Senate. And if it does, you put them all together. You, You put together what Glenn is talking about in the next six, seven minutes here, and I'm about to play for you, side by side with H.R. 4350. And let me tell you something, folks. We got an exciting fall ahead of us. Hallelujah. Beans and rice, beans and rice, propane and hot sauce. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, listen to this. It's shocking to me how many things that we have talked about in the past are are here now. Um, And the national emergency thing is something that, like in the last four weeks, I had a whole show on it and saying, this is what's coming next. And uh, while for yesterday, they thought for a while he was going to declare a national emergency today. Um, But the White House has said, don't look for it today, but it could be coming next week. That's terrifying. All right. I got to throw something in here real quick. That's beyond terrifying, but it's also something that we should be very, very excited about. Did you hear that? Glenn basically said that the White House said. I didn't know this, that the White House officially said that, that, that we should look for the White House or, you know, the executive branch of government to essentially announce some type of an emergency, a national emergency. I'm like, uh, OK, I don't care if it's like too many squirrels in the trees or whatever it is. That's pretty significant. All right. Right, kids? <laughs> OK. All right, we'll let him finish what he's talking about, though. But think about that. that. I didn't realize that the White House had basically come right out and said, buckle up. We're getting ready to announce a national emergency. So I don't know what that is, but let's keep our eyes on it. Remember, there's bunches and bunches and bunches and bunches and bunches and bunches of authorities, talking heads and all sorts of folks out there, like the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase on, oh, my goodness, and who knows who else, saying first couple of weeks, look, we're, we're five, six, seven days away from the first couple of weeks of August, and oh, my goodness gracious, a lot of people are saying something really, really bad is going to happen. Or is it going to be another Jade, Jade Helm 2012 event where everybody goes, oh, no, it's the end of the world, <laughs> and then nothing happens? Well, we'll have to wait and see, but here we go. should chill you to the bone. It's one of those things that I said four weeks ago. If they declare a national health or climate emergency, run for the hills. 
Run for the hills. It was interesting to see the squad, too, just blatantly wearing those green bandanas like you were talking about, which shows their affiliation with the communist, the revolutionary communist party in America. But the thing is, they don't care anymore. They They think they're too far Mm -mm. down the road that we can do anything about it. And uh, as you started saying, I think in about 2009, they're just going to show themselves because they're proud of who they are and what they are. They, They love it, and they can't wait to tell you what they're doing and who they are and what they are. And so if we don't do anything about it now, this is all going to be on us because they're just outright saying it, showing it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let, let, me, let me go through. And this is so incredible because we are dealing with people who want to destroy our Constitution, want to reset absolutely everything, mm-hmm. and they are so close to doing it. A national emergency – Um, The president doesn't have to explain in great detail. He can just declare the national emergency because of, uh, you know, climate. And then he has to outline to Congress some of the things that he wants to do. um, And but nobody can stop him unless it's the Supreme Court. So we have these and we talked about this maybe six months ago. They're called PADs or PEDs. Presidential executive, uh, no, presidential emergency directives. And uh, these are secret even from Congress. Congress doesn't even know what they are. They are presidential directives. When a president comes in, he says, what are the possible emergencies that could happen that I won't have time to respond on? And they'll say, you know, uh, nuclear war with Russia. Okay, so there's a, a PAD, and these PADs are executive emergency orders that are remain unsigned. So Congress doesn't know what they are because they're not in effect. So this was the big worry of the left, that President Trump had all of these PADs already done, and all he'd have to do is sign them, and you can move quickly. So the president right now, they are working on one of those PADs, an emergency directive that would give the president 140 special uh, powers. And, and let me just g- give you a scenario here. Um, and this is, this is from – let me see who's, who printed this. Uh, this is from The Atlantic back in 2019. Uh, they were worried about the – the president doing a, a, a national emergency. Claims of emergency or necessity cannot uh, legitimize martial law until they can. Presented with this ambiguity, presidents have explored the outer limits of their constitutional emergency authority in a series of directors, uh, directives known as the Presidential Emergency Action Documents, or PIADs, which originated as part of the Eisenhower administration to ensure continuity of government in the wake of a Soviet nuclear attack. They are draft executive orders, proclamations, and messages to Congress that are prepared in advance of anticipated emergency. PADs are closely guarded within the government. No one has ever, not one has ever been publicly released or leaked. Their contents have occasionally been described in public sources, including FBI memorandums where they were attained through Freedom of Information Act, as well as agency manuals and court doc, uh, documents. 
According to these sources, PIDs drafted from the 1950s through the 1970s would authorize not only martial law, but the suspension of habeas corpus by the executive branch, the revocation of America's passports, the roundup and detention of subversives identified uh, in an FBI security index that contained more than 10,000 names. Now, this is what was in there in the 1970s that we know. Can you imagine the list of enemies? Can you imagine the list of enemies to the climate? How many people do you know on radio that have been called enemies of the climate, that they're climate deniers, and these people should be put in jail? If the president issues an executive order on emergency action, it gives him the power to be able to arrest those people and hold them without habeas corpus. So you, you don't have a judge involved. You don't have a trial. No hearing involved in that. <clears throat> they talk about this and they say, let me give you this scenario from The Atlantic. Trump's inflammatory tweets provoke predictable saber rattling from Iranian leaders. He responds by threatening preemptive military strikes. Some Defense Department officials have misgivings, but others have been waiting for such an opportunity. As Iran's statement grow more warlike, uh, more warlike, Iranophobia takes hold among the American public. Now, just take Iran out and replace it with Russia. Take Trump out and replace it with Biden. It's exactly what's going on right now. Proclaiming the threat of war, Trump invoked Section 706 of the Communications Act to assume government control over internet traffic inside the United States in order to prevent the spread of Iranian disinformation and propaganda. Now, we already know the Department of Homeland Security is saying that there are many sources of propaganda, mis, dis, and malinformation. We know they're tracking it right now. And we also know that their point of view is not necessarily your point of view. You don't think they would do this? It's a climate emergency. He also declares a national emergency under uh, EPA, authorizing the Treasury Department to freeze the assets of any person or organization suspected of supporting Iran's activities against the United States. We've seen this happen in Canada. Wielding the authority conferred by these laws, the government shuts down several left-leaning uh, left websites and domestic civil society organizations based on government determinations, classified, of course, that they are subject to Iranian influence. Now, they already have this scenario. The difference between... I think conservatives and Marxists is Marxists uh, will warn you about fascism, but will not warn you about communism, where I will tell you, yeah, there are fascists out there. There are people on the far, 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 far right that I think they're so far right that they're actually left like a circle. But, you know, if you want to claim that fascists are on the right, fine fascists are on the right, great. Yes, they exist. And I do believe there are people on the right that wouldn't mind seizing power, but it's few and far between and would not have regular 
uh, American support. The left, however, that is the Democratic Party. It is no longer the Democratic Party. They are beholden to the Marxist communist left. All right. Praise God. <clears throat> so, again, if you want to find that, you can find that at glenbeck.com. Uh, and he and you would want to also look under his um, radio broadcast or whatever their podcast. But every, the title of it, if you want to hunt it down, is called The Terrifying Powers Biden May Have Under a Climate Emergency. Again, you put these side by side with the HR 4350 and all the other things that we've been talking about on this program for the last 11 years. And um, and we, we you know, think about it. When we were back at, during the Obama days, at the, toward the end of the Obama, uh, uh, you know, the 2015 period when he was busy funneling millions of dollars uh, with Fauci in, in, into creating, you know, this 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 bioweapon against mankind and the slaughtering of children and people all over the world out of their own ignorance for, you know, and this thing it's just horrible. I mean, the things that but but you know what? These are all things, you know, pestilence, famine, you know, all these things that Jesus warned us, warned us about. But but when we hear, as we are hearing right now, multiple well-read, well uh educated uh with lots of you know high levels of veracity uh information coming in from multiple sources that are pretty darn believable i would say uh you know that this is noteworthy um you combine that with the number the just the sheer number of those so-called experts or talking heads that have pointed to this fall as being, you know, the beginning of the end kind of thing. Uh, some of them even being as specific as the beginning of August is when it all, whatever that is, whatever all that is, the food shell, you know, things, things have been said like the shelves are going to, you know, the supply chain, uh, food supply chain problems, the other things that we've seen into you know, the storm, the storm of end times apocalyptic events, rolling power outages, power grids going down, people, you know, potentially dying in freezing cold weather because they can't keep the power up on the grid. Even as much as cyber attacks, like from the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab making that snide comment that he needs to be Nuremberg right off this planet, hallelujah. But that's God's, that's God's business. Praise Jesus. Our business is to pray for the lost until we get out of here. Praise God. But anyway, I just wanted to bring that to your attention, folks, because we are getting bombarded right now with information from multiple uh, reliable and not really alarmist sources, but sources of information that have been tracking these things for many, 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 many years as we have. And it does kind of look like we're, we got a bit of a perfect storm kind of heading right at us at this time. Now we've seen it coming. We've been talking about it, but I don't think I've seen the intensity of the warnings uh, that we're getting right now from so many sources I've never seen this level of intensity before. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And on that note, let's go into the rest of the news. All right, and again, from Sunday to Time News, heavy storms batter Russian resort of Sochi, vehicles swept under by flood water. And again, they have all kinds of videos and stuff. It's uh, flash floods in Sochi, which is nearby the Black Sea. Again, if, you, if you're interested in such things, and boy, let me tell you what, it doesn't matter. Talk brush fires, wildfires, uh, two suns in the sky, um, you know, um, volcanoes popping off. It's the same thing. As, it's the same as it ever was. I mean, really... <laughs> when you think about it, it's kind of just like this, you know? Same as it ever was. 
All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Breitbart reports, Democrat House Intelligence Committee members warn DNA testing can be used as a bioweapon to target Americans. Now, we already know that um, Sogu, uh, who's the head of, of defense of the Russian Defense Ministry, has made reports you know, on what they found in the biolabs in the Ukraine to the United Nations, which, of course, was to essentially an empty house because nobody cares what the Russians said because it's all a setup. They know they're being used in a proxy war and a setup, and they're restraining themselves. Now, how long they'll continue to restrain themselves is anyone's guess. All right, but the but the the determination of the World Economic Forum and all of these creepy satanic global crime syndicate folks um, uh, is astonishing. I mean, never before. If you think about it, really, never before since you know Adam and Eve, really, you know, and since Noah, you know, really, there has never been such a thrust by the forces of darkness in this world to create and to foment, to, to push forward aggressively World War III. It's never happened with this level of intensity before. It's amazing. And at the same time they're doing it, they're crashing the Western economies. It's the perfect storm. Just like the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, who you can expect is probably one of them. Uh, you know, uh, and when, when, when they, when the, when the forces of darkness the Global Satanics Crime Syndicate are coming right out and saying, this is what we're planning on doing. This is what we're planning on doing. Oh, and by the way, we're actually doing tabletop exercises to practice for it. Well, you know, buy some rice and beans. <laughs> and by the way, if you're going to buy rice and beans, which is good to have, um, you're going to need propane because you're going to have to heat it with the water to cook the rice. But get yourself some hot sauce. Get yourself one of those, like, you know, those multi-packs of, like, 30 different flavors of hot sauce and stuff because you've got you to put something on the beans and rice. And, and, you know, it'll attract the neighbors over, and you can tell them about Jesus. Hallelujah, because we're not going to be freaking out, are we? We're going to be praising God, aren't we, kids? Hallelujah. All right, next headline up. Texas is hit by a record 24-hour wildfires that have burned through 7,700 acres, like that number, 77, uh, and destroyed multiple homes, that I don't like, amidst 110-degree Fahrenheit heat waves and winds that have fan flames. So we, we knew that this was coming. It is here. Are we going to, is it going to amount to similar dynamics like last year where they were, the size and the intensity of the fires were such that they had to create or coin a new phrase? What do we call these things? We've never had these things happen to us ever before in the history of the world. Let's call them gigafires. So they coined a new phrase last year. I hope it doesn't get that bad, but I think it's highly unlikely that it would not. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. All right. Great Game India reports satellite images show Chinese village just nine kilometers from Doklam Plateau. It says satellite images show the Chinese village is just nine kilometers from the plateau. Construction along the Amu Chu uh, puts Indian forces at risk of Chinese forces gaining access to the strategic ridge near. And what they're talking about is that constant fighting going on between India and the uh, and uh, uh, you know. Uh, um, and China. And that stuff, it, it, it's been going on for years. So, so is that just uh, another one of those bazillions of hot spots across the world that could, you know, literally 
start, uh, you know, could, could be that Kent State event, you know, uh, on a global World War III sort of a, a stage? And, and the answer is yes. Um, but I think what we're going to see is kind of like in the sense of a perfect storm, I think, to the point of uh, Glenn Beck, to the point of Alex Jones, uh, H.R. 4350, the fact that we got the midterms coming and the forces of darkness have never made such progress in destroying the West as they have ever in the history of the world. So we are really on the edge of crumpling. And why would they, you know, if, if, if there's a GOP storm, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and a takeover by the Republicans this fall in the midterms, it's going to ultimately reverse all of the progress that Satan himself has, ma- has made for the end times against the West, Babylon the Great. I mean, don't even get me going on oh, some of the things that just gives me chills even thinking about some things you can't unsee in the news. Um, this uh, anyway, let's just move forward. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Yosemite National Park fires trigger state of emergency in California. So, again, it says major fires are ravaging uh, in parts of California as Sunday as tens of millions of Americans are baked in record-breaking temperatures. And then goes on to talk about the ones that are in Yosemite and how they are a major concern about moving in the direction, uh, you know, that would uh, put many, you know, uh, housing developments and people at risk. This is a repeat and probably will be many times times a magnitude much more horrific this year than it was last year. It has been exponentially worse every single year. Glory be to God. I don't know how we're going to hang in there, folks. Let me tell you something. We're right on the edge of the Cascadia subduction zone event occurring. <clears throat> and and there was, uh, I forget that, was it Linda Moulton or I forget the name of the lady, but I, she, that came on the program and the Lord told her in a, in a you know, prophetic vision and dream uh, that that was going to be the next major, that's the key word, cataclysmic event that was going to be happening across the world. And if that, if that be true, how long before that occurs? All right, next one up. Los Angeles Times. Indoor mask rules are expected next week as Los Angeles coronavirus wave worsens. Now, does that mean that there is a wave that's worsening? They call it the BA.5 Omicron subvariant. What does that mean? And, and is it even noticeable? I mean, I've seen articles out there by experts, and I'm talking about true experts, that, um, and they're public and peer-reviewed. And they're saying that it's basically you can't even tell the difference between that and a sniffle and the flu. But, you know, you mention it on television and everybody's going to be wrapping their heads in so many scarves and masks and things because they're scared. And, you know, folks, there's nothing more dangerous on planet Earth than, well, I mean, I don't mean this to be mean sounding, but ignorant people, people that don't get it in fear. I mean, if there's anything, what is that saying? Uh, the only thing that we have to be afraid of is fear itself. No, the only thing that we have to be afraid of is people that can't tie their shoes being afraid. That is something to be afraid of. Hallelujah. So turn it over to the Lord and use the power given to you through prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to call down the holy fire of God, authority, hedge of protection, and angels of protection around your homes as everybody else is wigging out because we will have divine protection if you are right with the Lord. Hallelujah. Next one up. Mega drought is spreading across the world. Two lakes dry up in Switzerland, with one being uh, refilled, it says. And I don't understand the refilling concept. But anyway, it's, it, it mentions things like 11% extreme alert level, 46% warning drought levels. A staggering portion of Europe is currently exposing a warning alert drought levels associated with either soil mo- moisture deficit or its combination with uh, vegetation stress. Okay, so that's a fancy way of saying 
big trouble, big trouble because of droughts that are stretching all across Europe, and, and it's all across the world, really. It really is, and it has been consistently for quite some time. But never before have we seen that combined with the intentional slaughter of animals. They had to have been poisoned to 10,000 cattle. Even the farmer said there was no way the heat caused it. Those 10,000 cattle were, were murdered. They weren't, they weren't called because of some freaky-deaky fake disease that somebody was calling, you know, any of that. No, they were murdered, probably by drones. Uh, and, and the over 100 facilities, I don't even know what the number is, what the count is of the, of the, of the number of facilities that have been burned to the Food processing facilities burned to the ground during the time that we have shortages on building materials. So are they going to be able to rebuild them? And the answer is no which, of course, will lead to greater shortages in the snowball effect of the end times. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. If the food runs out, New York Times accuses people uh, or accused of normalizing cannibalism, it says. An article by the New York Times caused an uproar amongst Twitterians. Uh, now they have their own special little name. Um, I, I have other names, but that's okay. I'll leave that at, at, at bay. Uh, since many users suggested it looked like the newspaper was backing the idea of eating other people. Okay, I'm not going to dig any deeper into that article. I've heard enough. All right, thank you, Jesus. And by the way, don't even get me going on some of the books written about what happened in Auschwitz, Auschwitz because that is a very real, horrible take. All right, next one up. <clears throat> Newsmax, hallelujah, says, Gottlieb says the United States has failed to contain the monkeypox outbreak. And so now we have the new multi-satanic um, uh, mainstream media network all out there telling everybody that it's the Oh, my goodness gracious, monkeypox, run for your life. Put 15 masks on. Wear them in your car. There is no escape. It's going to destroy the world. Same as it ever was. Anybody feel like watching a rerun of uh, Groundhog's Day? <laughs> Hallelujah. Ron DeSantis put the full armor of God. He actually says this in front of a large a group of people in Hollywood, Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis uh, is t you know, t warning everybody about the things that are happening out there. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. And I'm like, you know, and he actually means it. I mean, he's, he is truly a kind of like, you know, he's so much more of a Christian than Trump. Trump was pretend. Trump was a pretend Christian. He was never a Christian. Ron DeSantis is completely different. Now, am, am I? Here's the thing, though. I don't, I don't even want. You know what? At, at the end of the day, I don't even want to get into politics. All I want is for God's will to be done, and may it be that which is written in our holy Bible, and may it be that which leads to our rescue from this alien demon-infested rock. Hallelujah! All right, next one up. Praise Jesus. Overworked NHS, that's the medical government system out of the United Kingdom, nurses sell their days off as the cost of living skyrockets, according to unions. So they're like 27,000 staffers, and they're like looking to sell their days off to somebody else. They're entitled to them. You know, it's an entitlement. So they hey, man, uh, what do you think it's worth? Well, I don't know, but I sure could use a little bit of, you know, money to turn the stove back on in my house. It's been a long time eating cold you know, beans out of a can. All right, next one up. You can take someone's DNA and design a weapon that can kill them. House Intelligence Committee member warns people not to share their health data with sites like 23andMe because it can be used to program new bioweapons to target them. Oh, my goodness. That's a flying. What is that? Well, I don't care. Praise God. Because you know what? Those of us who dwell in the secret place of the Most High, according to my Bible, don't have to worry about such things. It shall by no means hurt us. 
praise his holy name. Because we've got work to do for the kingdom. You don't think the kingdom is going to give us special protection so that we can continue to do My Bible says so. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Keep me in remembrance and let us contend together. Isaiah 43, 25. Learn it. Learn it. Repeat it. Hallelujah. Next one up. Swiss warned of possible winter blackout. So the people in Switzerland being warned, hey, we're not going to have enough power. Watch out. Another headline. Look at this. Delhi registers its first case of monkeypox, and the World Health Organization declares public health emergency and an international concern. And they're talking about waves of all kinds of people catching it in the United States. And they're building up, they're building up the narrative to help foster the perfect storm. Next one up. State of emergency declared in Mariposa, uh, California, amidst major wildfires. So, again, the wildfire news and reports are going to be absolutely through the roof. All right. Here's a headline. What's brewing in the Hudson River? They do not know what it is. They do not know what uh, it is brewing in the Hudson River. It says, what's brewing in the Hudson? Mystery bubbling in the river baffles scientists. Now, we do happen to have an on-the-ground Johnny Baptist uh, Golden JIB Studios uh, uh, representative at the bubbling uh, strange area of the the Hudson River right now. Uh, He has his microphone. We're going to be able to hear the actual audio of the bubbling here. So listen very closely. It's right. He's right there by the bubbles. Um, whoa, whoa. Uh-oh, uh, I don't know about you, but it, well, it seems a little bit more than just bubbles there, folks. Uh, oh, oh, we better. <laughs> hey, you're allowed. Hey, you're, you take a couple days off of work. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Slavarov, Moscow is not asking to lift sanctions, but the West must resolve its self-created food emergencies. Hmm. Well, it is self-created. All right, and it just keeps on going on. Praise God. A monkeypox spread is declared a global emergency as 16,000 cases have been reported worldwide, according to the WHO. Who? The WHO. Who? <laughs> it's nuts. All right, next one up. FBI believes Huawei tell us, uh, telecom equipment can capture and disrupt the United States military communications. Oh, no. Never mind everything that... <laughs> Edward Snowden disclosed uh, Russia delivers over 42,500 tons of humanitarian aid, which is a fact. Flash flood kills at least 22 people in southern Iran, which is a fact. Pirates of the Middle East, Syria, reports theft of 35 tankers worth of oil by the United States of America. Anyway, on that that note, uh, it isn't like I couldn't keep you riveted and on the edge of your seat with all kinds of apocalyptic reports because they're never ending. Glory be to God. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, one last report to leave you with. Half, half of Americans anticipate a United States civil war soon. And that is chilling. That's the headline here. And have we been hearing a lot of that? Yes, we have. Praise God. What's up next in the queue? Is it the Cascadia subduction zone? Is it civil war? What do we know? We don't know. We're going to have to wait on the Lord. Stay in the secret place of the Most High. Pray for the lost and do what you got to do to touch uh, uh, those who cannot be touched in any other way, which is supernaturally. They'll be touched through your prayers and through the presence of Jesus and angels in their sleep and visions of the night, like it says in Job 33, 14 and 15. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. And on that note, let's go ahead and bring on Brother Sammy Mwangi and look right here i'm hoping that this is his number i forgot to write it down brother sammy are you there 
Yes, I'm here, John. Can you hear Yay! me? Yay! I recognize your number. All yeah. right. All right. So tell us what's been going on, brother. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. All right. Thank you so, so much, John. I know I haven't come uh, on radio for a few weeks now, uh, but I've been well. God has been good to me. And um, I had a short trip to Kenya uh, where mainly I had gone to train our local staff and also visiting with some projects and um, also uh, helping to distribute food, especially among the Maasai community that we work with. As some of you have seen in the news, there's um, a drought that has really continued in Kenya for a long time now, over one year without any rain in this region. Uh, much of Kenyan northern fishery uh, is, is mainly uh, semi-arid or arid areas, and 80% of the land actually is semi-arid or arid areas with about 35% of the population. So a lot of people have been affected. Uh, many people in Kenya are facing food crisis in an imaginable scale uh, and all triggered by the drought. They say that it's the driest time in 40 years. It's never been so dry uh, for the last 40 years like today. And so the Maasai people we work with, um, with no rain, a majority of them pastoralists, uh, they keep cattle and they move their cattle around. And so one of the things I, I went to do is to visit with their family uh, and, and, and really confirmed most men have taken their cattle to other regions. Uh, their families have no idea where they are, and so they are taking their cattle, their cows, their goats to look for pasture and water. And when they do that, they leave their families behind, and they, they don't leave them with anything. So you find um, uh, especially women and children without food and really, really starving. The little animals left behind uh, weak and sickly, and uh, it's been a very devastating thing. So uh, I was able to go there and uh, do some feeding program and, and visit with the families, uh, putting, uh, gathering them in some ch uh, local churches. And uh, we, we just want to do that a little more now, especially considering about 2 mil million people are desperately uh, in short of food and eating food in Kenya. And it's even, when you look at East Africa in general, it's, it's close to uh, 20 million people in Ethiopia and Uganda. And so we can help where we can. And you can imagine the food, global food crisis right now, even in the U.S. and all these things happening, uh, Ukraine and other places affecting even more. And so when you, when you think about an American, an average American struggling, then you can think and imagine what is happening with the people in, in Kenya, with the people in Congo and other places that we serve. So... For now, as a ministry pipes, we are providing emergency food relief, and that's what we can do right now. But now we are also discussing as a ministry other ways to bring sustainable livelihoods. We are thinking about methods of gathering water, you know, building small community dams. And uh, in the next one year, I believe that we'll, we'll have some good reports, you know, with families and communities having some community dams where they can have water uh, for some time so that they can farm with that. Long term, we also plan to do a borehole, maybe several of them, but we'll start with one borehole that can serve the Maasai community where we are right now, where we are serving right now. Uh, so the, the, the borehole can provide community with water, also a place where they can bring their cows for watering area. So people just move their cows around, but if you have some water where they can just come and uh, water their cows, it makes a very big difference. And that's what we want to do as a ministry. Uh, I'm asking you to continue praying for us. Uh, those that God has blessed with some extra uh, money, please 
uh, help us this time so that we can continue feeding those kids, uh, feeding those families, and just uh, especially for this time before it can rain and they can have something uh, back uh, with them. Uh, the other quick thing I just want to mention is um, that you continue to pray for us, pray for me. I have uh, two trips to make this year. I, I will be traveling to Moldova next month, towards the um, 18th and 19th of next month. I'll travel there for about 10 days. Moldova, they have invited me to go and share the gospel there. It's, it's my first time in Moldova, um, East, East Europe, you know, bordering Ukraine. I'll be there sharing Christ, sharing the gospel, also helping to establish discipleship uh, programs because, you know, mature Christians are really needed, very important at this point that we are living in so that people cannot be swindled away with every kind of teaching. So uh, pray for me for that trip coming next month. And then in October, I'll be back to Pakistan. So remember, last year, October, I was there. We are really helping the church in Pakistan, uh, Karachi, uh, Lahore, um, Istrabad, we are really helping uh, these churches there to strengthen them so that they continue being a witness of Christ, being the light of the world. And um, it's my commitment now to do this for a few years. I'll take a team there, pray for us that uh, we're going to see the heart of the Lord. We're going to have uh, provision for finances, protection. This is, uh, this is one of the hardest countries to go to. You know, it borders Iran, Afghanistan, and all this, um, India on the south, uh, China, and you know, every time we are there, we just need God's covering so that we can do the work that God has called us to do. So uh, keep me in your prayers. Uh, I want to thank uh, every person who listens to John John's radio tribulation now because we have received your support, and because of your support, every bit, every dollar makes a, a big difference, transforming lives, bringing the gospel to so many people. Now distributing Bibles, distributing a discipleship. Uh, workbooks and by the way john uh when i went to kenya we just released the eighth uh translation we wanted to do seven initially we added to eight now we are done with the first phase we did a local language called kikuyu and released that the sunday before i left so eight translations of this uh, booklet that people are using to learn about god and to practice and have exercises and you know all the training that they can do at their level. So we thank God so much. Thank you once again. This is Samuel Mong, your Pipes International. And I want to thank John so, so much for the opportunities he has given me for the last 10 years. He has continued to support us every month and many other of friends who listen to Tribulation Now. God bless you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Sammy. Wow, eight translations. That is amazing. I think that might be a record. Praise Jesus. I am so thrilled uh, with every time you come on the program in Moldova. Wow, talk about going into some places. You uh, you, you, and your various um, missionary teams that move across Africa, Pakistan, different places across the world are exceedingly courageous for Jesus and doing some amazing things that... I, as far as I know, have never been done before, uh, particularly teaching people to evangelize Christ in the places where you seed churches and help feed poor and lift up, you know, building schools and doing all the amazing things that you have done for the people in some of the most poorest places in the world. So uh, what a blessing to be able to go to pipesinternational.org, to be able to seed and know that your money is going right into the hands of the people that are needy and um, spreading 
spreading the word of Jesus because now's the time we, you know, you heard what Sammy said, and, and that's probably the tip of the iceberg, folks. I mean, we've read articles, and it's very, very real. When the rest of the world, when the bread baskets of the world go into lockdown like is happening right now and affect the global food supply, unfortunately, the trickle-down effect that would normally occur in the African air, uh, countries is Horrible. They, 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 they go into a famine way earlier than the rest of the world does. And that's a shame. And uh, what a wonderful opportunity it is for us to be able to pray for them and proceed into uh, their, um, their uh, incredible ministry. So again, thank you. Uh, thank you, brother Sammy for joining us tonight. It's always a blessing mm-hmm. to have you. And folks, again, that's pipes like pipes in the, tr- uh, like water pipes, P I P E S international. Dot org, um, because this is the real deal, and it's a wonderful blessing to know that you know, ninety cents of the dollar isn't being skimmed off for some administrative cost. So anyway, thank you, Sammy. God bless you. Lift up, lift them all up in prayers. I pray for them as well. Uh, they need it now Amen. more than ever before. And um, just thank you for sharing with us tonight, as always. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, John. Bye. God bless you. All right. And again, P-I-P-E-S international dot org. And, um, you know, I tell people, hey, I don't take a single penny of your money. Give it to pipes. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, you know, you're touching people's lives. All right. And on that note, let's go ahead and bring on Jerry Robinson with a powerful message. Much needed for today, especially now. Brother Jerry, are you there? I am. Great to be here. Thank you. Oh, your audio sounds fabulous. I don't know what you're using, but it sounds absolutely awesome. If that's a telephone, then don't get rid of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, anyway, no, no, no. This, I'm so, yeah, great to be here. Great to be here. Looking forward to it. Thank you. And this this message is is one I think of great courageousness i you know and i know that we as christians don't we don't want to get puffed up and be like you know smith wigglesworth jumping up on a chair and pointing down at a family and going what are you trying to do send me straight to hell (laughs) but anyway um this is a courageous message especially for to bring forward i think it's one of the most if not the single most important message for especially the american christian to hear i can tell you that uh you know and i'm sure that you're well aware of this uh when you do a ministry a podcast or whatever that reaches the rest of the world, all 243 countries, including the island nations, you get feedback from people that are in countries that are not so, I don't know, Second Amendmentized. You know, they, they, they're like, we don't understand the American mindset. You know, they will readily, people over in Spain, people over in the UK, people over in Australia, people in New Zealand, people that I have conversations with, they, they don't get it. They don't understand our mindset and this notion that we have in our head where we twist the Bible for our own, you know, personal, uh, I don't know, as, as, uh, as it says in the book of James, you know, for our own personal, essentially our own personal desires. And, um, and, and so anyway, I just wanted to turn the microphone over to you, let you share as you feel led in regard to this message, our gun rights God given. Uh, because, uh, well, I think those of us who have truly been touched with an anointing and an understanding of who Jesus is and what it means to carry our cross 
to carry our cross to our own Golgotha, uh, we would come to this same conclusion. But anyway, on that note, I will grab my virtual folding chair, get out of your hair, and let you grab the mic. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I would agree with you that it is a very difficult message to give. Uh, the idea that we need to put our guns down in the middle of this violent world that we find ourselves in is counter to uh, what we would consider human wisdom. It would be counter to everything that would seem logical. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus, when he came, uh, he brought a message of nonviolent love of not just friends, not just family, but also of enemies. So Jesus, the way of Jesus, and remember, there are many Jesuses, uh, Johnny, there are many different Jesuses. The Bible says that we're going to have many different people saying, I am the Christ. Well, there are different versions of Jesus. There's an American version of Jesus. Uh, there is a Chinese version of Jesus. There is a Brazilian version of Jesus. Now, I'm not just talking about the simple cultural aspects, but as you pointed out, some of these more insidious things that leach into the view of Jesus. And this is exactly what Satan wants. He is at war with us. And we, of course, are the offspring of the seed. We are under attack. This is why the Bible tells us over and over again that we need to, only in the New Testament, by the way, not the, not the Old Testament, totally different story uh, for another day. But in the New Testament, we learn the curtain is pulled back on the devil. And we see that, that Satan, it is actually he uh, who is the enemy of our soul, the adversary. Uh, it's, it's largely hidden throughout much of the Old Testament, but it's completely unveiled through the final revelation, the ethical, the final ethical uh, standard, the highest ethical standard, that is Jesus Christ. So we want every thought to come into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And the problem is, is that we live in a time now, many, many years removed from Jesus's day and from the apostles who were eyewitnesses. And now we have constructed these high things that have to be cast down. We have constructed arguments that give us a permission slip to engage in the actions of evil that evildoers are doing. Right now, evildoers are carrying assault rifles. Many people don't like that phrase, assault rifles, but that's exactly what they are. When you look at something like an AR-15, that's modeled off of a military weapon. It's designed to kill human beings. Now, I don't think that any of us would ha have a hard time saying that we would not imagine that Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, would have to resort to picking up an AR-15 to protect himself. He knew who the enemy was, and he had a supernatural power that he also endued into his disciples, and we are his disciples. So we have, God is our peace. He's our protection. He's our defense. He's our fortress. And therefore, we don't have to rely upon the weapons of this world. In fact, it is the Apostle Paul himself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, for, we, uh, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, these high things, Johnny, these uh, high things that have been built up are philosophies that have come along the way and have told us that it's okay we have to kill. Uh, before we're killed, we have to kill. Uh, and this is unbecoming, I think, for Christians, that we know that that's not the way. We don't arm up and become Rambo because evildoers have weapons. We don't 
re- resort to returning evil for evil, right? We have to use something higher, and Jesus provides the way. Jesus refused the crown. Jesus refused the sword. Uh, the apostles tried to use the sword and were told by Jesus to put it up. When Jesus told Peter to put the sword up, he was talking to every single Christian. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. This is a promise. It's a law. So we can't resort to the sword and think that we can do it without any kind of impunity. It's not, it's not a possible thing. And we've really, uh, we've really turned this situation into something very inflammatory because the right to guns, which is really kind of goes back to English civil law. You have to go back hundreds of years to really see this. Not really an American invention, but America adopts the English view and, of course, broadens it, of course, over time. The idea that you can own a gun uh, for the protection, uh, oftentimes from the government itself, uh, somehow to hold the government in check. And then also for self-defense purposes. And John Locke, uh, who is a famous English philosopher, played a huge role in the life of uh, Thomas Jefferson's thoughts, uh, and of course it greatly impacted the, the Constitution here in the United States. Uh, John Locke was the one who really kind of uh, put the Christian name on the idea of self-defense in modernity, uh, saying that you know, if a man's trying to rob me of my purse, uh, you know, I have every right to kill him because I don't know what designs he has on my life. So this idea of preemptive killing uh, is uttered by guys like John Locke, who, you know, by the way, who are not really believers in the Christian uh, in, in Christ the way you and I would be. Uh, when you look at John Locke's beliefs, they're well, they're very different. But what's interesting, Johnny, is that uh, mo- modern Christians today really have a low bar uh, from these people of the past, but they have a very high bar for, say, the early church fathers. They have a really high bar for others, but the very low bar for the American founders. Uh, and in fact, we could say that probably part of the big problem in American Christianity is that it has, along with the, with the world, has adopted, kind of become unequally yoked with unbelievers by simply adopting the propositions of the founders. So like the Second Amendment, for example. You know, Christians say, well, I have a right to carry a gun. Well, that's fine. You may have a, a government right to carry a gun. It doesn't mean that Jesus wants you to. They, they conflate rights with, the, uh, with what a, a command is in the Bible. Their rights are not commands. Say so you have to carry a gun. They allow you to carry a gun. But should a Christian carry one? Right? And should a Christian kill? Why would he carry a gun if he's not planning on killing? And then we have to ask, who would the Christian kill? Um, and if he says bad guys, then, then we would say, does Jesus still want us to turn the other cheek and win? We would have to say, why did he scold Peter for using the sword? We would have to say, why didn't the disciples use their swords beyond Gethsemane? We would have to say, we would have to ask, why didn't his disciples tell others to use the sword, right? We would have to ask, why don't we have any, uh, any Rambos in the early church, you know, just kind of taking machetes across the Asian territories as they're taking land for God, right? And why should martyrs get any credit, extra credit, Johnny? If you're supposed to pick up the sword and kill before you're killed, then why should martyrs get any extra credit? And hey, Johnny, guess what? If Jesus told us to carry swords, Aren't you really sinning if you don't carry one, right? So they say, well, Jesus said we have to carry a sword. Well, what if you don't? Are you sinning if you don't carry one? If Jesus wants his followers to carry weapons, how is that optional? Doesn't grandma have to carry one too? Don't don't the eight-year-olds too? I mean, there's no teaching on this. So the teaching is an inch deep. Uh, 
and we, we, need, we need an ocean of teaching on this. We need an ocean of teaching, and we have a drop. We have a drop. We have a drop of teaching. It's a, it's a drought. We have people killing each other with guns. We have the idea that God gave us this right to walk around with AR-15s and assault rifles. We think it's all from God. Satan wins whenever we forget that he's in the equation. The serpent is here. He's, he's crafty. This is exactly what Paul warns about. He says in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says, I fear, I fear, but somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Christ never used the sword, Johnny. His apostles never used the sword, except for one time, which is recorded in Scripture for everyone to see forever. When Jesus said, put it up. Right? That's, there it is. There's the one time the apostle used the sword, John. There it is. Right? Right there. And what, it, what does Jesus say? Put it up. Are there any other instances where the apostles used the sword? We have nothing in the Bible where they used the sword again. We have nothing in early church tradition or history that tells us that the apostles used the sword. They lived in very dangerous times. If anyone needed a sword, we would assume it would be these men. They were being persecuted. They were being attacked. And I'm sure the Satan wanted to kill them. Uh, or ha- I'm sure they were robbed. I'm sure they were beaten. I'm sure they were maimed. I'm sure they had all kinds of problems. You know, how come they weren't stabbing people? Right? Uh, how come they weren't defending themselves? How, how come they weren't carrying the latest invention uh, of evil? Why weren't they engaged in being unequally yoked and returning evil for evil? What was this new message that was turning Rome upside down? What was this? Jesus overcame the world by turning the other cheek. Satan wants us to forget this. He wants us to forget it. He wants us to fight because he wants us to think that the kingdom is of this world. But Jesus said in John 18, 36, My kingdom is not of this world, and if it were, my disciples would be fighting. This is why the disciples don't fight. This is why we don't resort to the sword. I just pulled that scripture up. What a miracle. I just pulled it up. I'm looking right at it. Uh, John 18:36. If my kingdom was from you, my servants would fight. But uh, keep going. Keep going. You're nailing it. Praise God. This is uh, it's a very important topic. And I think when we think about the God-given right uh, to guns, I think that's really where the high thing kind of comes in. Let's go back and read 2 Corinthians 10 uh, again. Because it says in verse 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. All right, so that should be very clear. Very, very clear. You know, there was recently a shooting in a mall, and there was someone who had a gun, and he, he shot the shooter. There were two shooters in the room. One was coming in to shoot people. The other one was shooting the shooter. And we look at this situation, and we realize, how is this possible? What is going on? Why do we have these assault rifles, uh, and why do we have these weapons of death all over the place? What has happened? These are inventions of evil. A, guns, a handgun is designed to kill a human being. How is this from the heart of God? How, how, the Bible tells us that there's going to be inventions of evil. Well, where are they? Would the nuclear bomb count? I think so. How about the AR-15? That would count too. It's designed to kill a human being like a deer. It's designed to kill a human being like a, like a moose. You just literally just shoot a man, right? Just, shoot, just explode his organs. At this point, whenever you are willing to use a gun and explode people's organs, at that point you say, well, why not just gouge their eyes up, 
Right, Johnny? Why not just, uh, why not just suffocate them or drown them? Suddenly you realize people don't want to get their hands dirty, Johnny. That's why the gun comes in handy. Because the, the, you use the gun, you don't get your fingernails dirty. don't have to look at the guy in the eyes as you squeeze the life out of him. I would say the gun is a coward's way. I would say a gun is a... Uh, you know, Cain used a rock. Jesus' path, Jesus' way, is nonviolent love. Nonviolent love overcame the world. And it's not just nonviolent love for friends, Johnny. It's nonviolent love for friends and enemies. It's, it's a nonviolent love that extends to everything. When Jesus is being nailed to the cross, the men who are driving the nails into his feet are being forgiven. That's the nonviolent love of friends and enemies that Jesus brought. That's what it is. And we have people in the pulpits today who are telling us that it's okay for us to carry a gun because we may need to shoot somebody. Christians may need to shoot somebody. And you have to think to yourself, what context does this make sense in? When did Jesus do this? When did the apostles do this? And why are we not following them? Why are, why are our thoughts not being brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, but instead being brought in obedience to the Constitution? Why are our thoughts being brought into obedience to John Locke and other philosophers who have formed and fashioned these high places that now, that now, that now serve as false gods for Christians? We, in the Old Testament, you had high places where the Israelites would be tempted to worship. Well, we have those high places today, and we have to tear them down, John. This is what, we, this is what our ministry is, uh, truerichesradio.com. You can find us online. We, we are committed to tearing down, uh, casting down arguments and casting down high places, these high places that have risen up and been erected in the minds of men. And it's, this is a war. Satan is engaged in a great battle. And just like Paul warned, I believe that we too have been deceived like Eve. We have been, and I say we, I say I'm speaking largely corporately. I would say that when the church picked up the sword, they did exactly what Jesus didn't do. And that happened in the fourth century. And we have had now 1,700 years of Christian-on-Christian bloodshed, and we've become numb to it. Now we just literally kill before we're killed. That's the mentality. We have to counter that. We have to be a light in the dark. We have to return good for evil. And they may kill us. And if they do, we'll look like Jesus. If they may kill us. If so, we'll look like John, James. You say, well, I've got to get a gun in case they kill me. Well, if they kill you, you'll look like Paul. Right? What's, what are you so afraid of death? I mean, how is this any of this Christianity? Christianity doesn't fear death. Christianity says death is a door to eternal life. Paul says to live as Christ and die as gain. Why the fear of death? I sense a lot of fear of man in, in guns. Guns are what you buy when you're fearful of man. But God says, uh, or Jesus says, fear not those who kill the body, but fear those who can kill the body and soul, right? cast them into hell. So Jesus is telling us, fear not those who can kill the body. Well, I would say if you have an AR-15, or if you're walking around with a handgun, you do fear those who can kill the body. So you're kind of motivated by that, and in fact, you're willing to kill because your fear of, of men is that high. What if we had a fear of God that high? What if we were, I mean, people are willing to kill other people because of a fear of man. What about the fear of God? What if we had a fear of God that strong? What would we do? 
So I'll hand it back to you there. But uh, nonviolent love of friends and enemies is the path. It's the way. And if anyone teaches you anything else, if anyone comes to you in any other name and says, no, Jesus is okay with you killing, or the apostles are fine with you killing, or this is all fine, even though it doesn't match anything in, in the Bible, even though it doesn't match anything in the New Testament, if they come to you and teach you that message, you need to flee. You need to run. That is a false message. That is an absolutely false message. It, it doesn't have any biblical, any New Testament support whatsoever. And I think, I, I think before I hand it back to you, one, one last point, perhaps, before you want to press it further, is the idea that those who do believe, they, they might point to Luke twenty two thirty six and say, well, Jesus said to carry a sword. So everything that I'm saying is kind of mute because Jesus said to carry a sword. Well, the simple question that we have to ask is if, if Jesus said to carry a sword, then we would, ex- we would have to ask, did the apostles use the sword you know, outside of after they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Does anyone think, if anyone listening right now says, what this guy is missing is that he's missing the fact that Jesus told the apostles to use a sword. That's what he's missing, right? If he only knew that, if he, had, if he only read his Bible, if he only had thought about this, he, he would suddenly realize that, oh, no, he, people are supposed to carry swords. But, but I have a question for you if you're saying that. My question for you is simply this is that if Jesus wanted his disciples to carry a sword and you're not carrying one, then you, aren't you sinning? You know, the logic always breaks down when you start thinking about it a little bit. Oh, this and is so whatever. What, <laughs> I'm loving it. Keep going. What, what, what happens here is the fact that if someone believes that the apostles carried swords, Think about this. If someone out there is saying, well, the apostles carried swords, Jerry, and, and Johnny, you guys don't understand this. You know, they were carrying swords. So we have to ask the logical conclusion of this question is, how many people did they stick a knife into? Let's have that conversation, all right? So let's just go ahead and take it to the logical conclusion. It's allowed for apostles to carry swords. Okay, fine. Let's just go ahead and concede the argument. Fine. Jesus told them to carry swords so they can stick them in bellies. How many bellies did they stick them in? We want to know a number, right? We just want to know a number. So in, anyone who has a number, how many people did the apostles kill with their swords? How many? We just want a number. Is it one? Is it seven? We need teaching on this. It's an inch, it's an inch deep in teaching. We have an ocean full of false teachers. We have an ocean full of guns. We have an ocean full of violence and hate. And we have one inch of teaching on this, pastors. Teach your flock about guns. Tell them to put them down. And to follow the Prince of Peace, Pastor. Shepherds, love your flock. And don't love them by arming them with the weapons of warfare that are carnal. But teach them to be armed in the Spirit, because we engage a real spiritual war here. Now, I don't mean to blaspheme, and I, I, I pray that I'm not by simply bringing up the fact that the logical conclusion of this is that these people who claim that the apostles carried a sword, they are by implication accusing the apostles of killing. They are, they are accusing the apostles of potentially taking those knives and sticking it into their enemies' bellies. And we want to know how many bellies did they stick those knives into. And if these people don't have answers, they might want to reconsider why they're holding that knife, why they're holding that sword, or why they're holding that AR-15. Because if the apostles didn't stick it in a belly, and if Jesus didn't use it, then pray tell me what the support here is for this gun culture that we have. And what it turns out to be 
is that we have believed the lie of the serpent. And now we are killing one another. You may recall in the book of Revelation, when, uh, in chapter 6, when the black horse comes, something happens in the earth at that moment that's something very dramatic. And it's very interesting because it says in chapter 6 of Revelation, it says, I'm sorry, it's the fiery red horse, my apologies. It's the second horse, the second seal. And in verse 4 of chapter 6 of Revelation, it says, Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. So we have a culture now where people kill one another. We say, is that really true? Well, sure. The Civil War was where 600,000 supposed Christians killed fellow Christians. Or consider the American Revolutionary War, where men of the same church were sticking each other with knives in the belly, claiming it was all for God. What about the uh, peasant wars? What about the Protestant-Catholic wars? We have so many wars, and we look in the Bible, and it tells us right here that men, when this horse rides, people are going to kill one another. They're going to kill one another. Well, we've been having that going on for a long time, and it crept into the church. It crept into the church. A nonviolent love of friends and enemies is what Jesus brings. It's the way of Jesus. And uh, to, to argue against the nonviolent love of friends and enemies would be, would be contradictory for any Christian. Because it's what we value about Jesus. We know that he turned the other cheek and toppled the Roman Empire. He didn't use the tactics of this world. And we, those things are available to us, Johnny. We have that in the spirit world. We have those kinds of weapons where we don't... You know who the devil is afraid of more than perhaps anyone? It's the man who's not afraid of the sword. It's the man who's not afraid of the gun. Right? The reason why people carry guns is because they're scared of guns. That's why they carry guns. So the reason to carry a gun, you're not carrying a gun for God, believe me. You're not carrying a gun for Jesus, believe me. You know, unless you're a police officer or a, a king who has been given the sword in Romans 13, you're, not, you're just bearing a sword in vain. Okay, we don't need another, you know, guy playing a cop. We don't need any macho men on the streets. Put your guns away. Pick up the Bible. Pick up the cross. Follow the Prince of Peace. Let the people kill. They're going to kill all around you. And you may be slain in the process. But you're not promised that you won't be slain. In fact, that's what all of your heroes were done. All of your heroes were slain. Satan doesn't want us to embrace our calling. He wants us to live in fear of the waves that we see around us. It's a very scary time. The media amplifies the gun attacks. There's nearly one mass shooting per day. People are scared, and they rightfully want to protect themselves. And it's understandable that they want to protect the innocents of their children. They want to protect the innocence of others. I fully comprehend this. I fully, I fully grasp this. I've, th these are all very understandable emotions that people feel. They want to protect. They, it's understandable. You, you, can't, you can't fight that. And we would also say that it would be righteous to protect and to defend. But, but protecting and defending and Taking a, an invention of evil, a gun, and pointing it at a man's head and shooting him in the head, those are two very different things. In one case, you're exploding a man's brain. In the other, you're, you're defending and, and protecting an innocent child, per se, or maybe even someone else. But 
to resort to the most explosive type of response to say, what's the, what are the current, what's the current evilest way to eliminate a person? Well, let's just do that. What, what are the bad guys doing? Are they using AR-15s? Well, let's go buy AR-15s then. What are the bad, we, Christians shouldn't ask what the bad guys are doing. That's not, that's not our gauge. We bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, not to what the culture has to say about it. We don't care what the culture has to say about that. We have a, we have a master who didn't kill, and he was killed. We have a master who commissioned disciples who he told not to kill, and they were killed. We may not like our faith. We may not like what we have signed up for, but that's not, that's not the point. The point is, is that we have to follow our Prince of Peace and pick up that cross. And if we feel tempted instead to pick up a gun and kill before we're killed, we're missing the point. So maybe I'll pass it to you for a minute. <laughs> Oh, praise God. I was on my knees for a long time because of the resistance of my position now spiritually in my heart because it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. When you're truly being transformed through sanctification, and I do mean the word truly because a lot of people think they are, but they're not. And you can tell so by the words that come out of their mouth. There's life and death and power of the tongue. And the more you see Jesus and the way that they act, the way that they, what they talk about, the more you see that it resonates with, with the Holy Spirit in us. And when people speak opposite of Christ-like behavior unto death, it should sting us. It should grieve the Holy Spirit, and we should feel something is wrong, something is amiss. Well, I knew something was amiss, and I was under a lot of fire even from uh, I won't get into I won't name any, I'm not going to name names because because then they'll repent and then I'll be guilty and judged and I don't want to go there. But I'm just going to say this. After a long time on my knees because I was under a lot of duress over this subject that I was very vocal about, but I didn't really have the answer to those who do the unthinkable from a logical standpoint. The unthinkable from a logical standpoint is this. When you take one verse out of 31,102 verses in the Holy Bible and you twist it, and let's just use the number of verses in the New Testament because it's the new covenant under the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood, and the rules were all changed. Not 100% of the rules, but a bunch of them, and Jesus was very vocal about them, and he also empowered the apostles to add to those commandments, which number in the, I believe, over 1,000. I have a list of them. And most of us don't even follow the most important commandment, which is to love our Lord, our God, with all our heart, our mind, and our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to show the world who we are in Christ as disciples by loving each other. But we fail even that test, because all you have to do is go onto Facebook, social media, and watch the, the Christians who believe in abortion fight viciously and vehemently with one another, lobbing horrible terms across at one another. We are living in an absolutely apostate world. It is as demonic and satanically controlled, even within the Christian ranks, than the world has ever been since Noah's flood. Now, all that being said, I prayed and prayed and prayed about Luke 20, 22, 36, because I wanted the definitive answer, and it's right there in the text, but you've got to see it. And the Lord showed it to me, and I said, oh, my gosh. Luke twenty two thirty six says, then he, Jesus, said to them, but now, he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack, and he who has no, no sword, let him go, sell his garment and buy one. Verse 37, for I say to you, 
that this which is written, now please, in the name of Jesus, open your heart and your mind. This isn't a matter of if you can receive it, because if you can't receive it, you may very well be pointing your ship in the direction of hellfire. This is a matter of your salvation. Okay, you don't shoot your way into heaven and don't think for a minute that Jesus is going to extend a loving arm to you because that's what you did. Now, in verse 37, it explains the mystery of Luke 22, 36, and it explains it so vividly that if you miss it, shame on you. It says right here, for I, Jesus Christ, the Lord God, say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And then he quotes the prophecy. And he was numbered with the transgressors. That is a direct quote of the prophecy about Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53, 12, which says, says, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and, I, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. This, this act of getting two swords, now listen, this, this act of getting swords was no different than, than when Jesus got on the donkey and rode it in, uh, you know, uh, into Jerusalem. Okay, it even says in the scripture that the, that, the, that the prophecy may be fulfilled. This is the, simply the fulfillment of the, scripture, of the scripture in Isaiah 53, 12. Now, think about it. Thirteen people. Nobody has a sword. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have told them to sell, sell the knapsack in the first place, right? So nobody's got one. And Jesus says, oh, go sell your money back in your knapsack and go get some swords. Then somebody comes running up and says, look, look, Lord, I have two swords. And Jesus goes, oh, that's enough. That's enough. Thirteen people, two swords, grabbed ad hoc from wherever they got them from. And Jesus goes, oh, it's enough. Look, Lord, I got two swords. Thirteen people standing there. What level of intellect do you have to have to twist that into meaning something different when it tells you right in the text why it was done? It is absolutely horrifying to imagine the deficit an IQ that must exist amongst the believers to twist. Uh, you've got thousands of scriptures about how we are to love one another. Thousands of scriptures about how God, uh, you know, that vengeance is his. They go a ripple all the way back into the Old Testament. But yet we twist one that makes absolutely no logical sense whatsoever and completely miss verse 37, which describes beyond any shadow of a doubt why Jesus did it in the first place. In the Revolutionary War, the Puritans were the only true Christians in the United States of America. They would not pick up a weapon at all. The Puritans would go ahead and do uh, spying things. They would run secret notes in the middle of the night to give away troop uh, locations and things like that, but they would never touch a weapon ever, ever. The Puritans were the truly Holy Spirit-filled Christians on, uh, in the United States. All right. You got to know the difference between somebody who is truly following the mandates, and I do mean mandates of the Lord Jesus Christ, and those who twist the word. Listen, if guns are a right, then so is LGBT LMNOP, and you might as well go ahead and let yourself get sodomized and be happy about it because it's your right, by golly. The problem is we don't preach 
angrily, and I do mean with turning over the temples into tabernacle anger. I don't mean, you know, any other type. I'm talking about getting out there, picking up that, you know, whatever it is that you've been given as, as a godly, loving, kind, uh, uh, spiritual weapon and touch people, whether it be one-on-one, whether it be uh, with a podcast, whatever it takes to get the word out, because this and, and to your point, Jerry, very well said, this is a humongous deficit. We even have John 16, too. They will kick you out of the synagogues. Yes, there will come a time when they kill you and think they have done God a service, but they do this because they have not known me nor the Father. Don't you see what folks listen? It says they will kick you out of the synagogue, prophetically speaking, lines upon lines, precepts upon precepts. When applied to today, this is talking about today's church and Christians fighting amongst one another. Who are the two largest groups in the United States of America that will shoot each other right now? goes the civil war like is being predicted by an untold number of very astute uh, experts on this air and i could boy that's a four-hour radio show right there we're going in the civil war this country is going in the civil war and you want to know who t- who the two largest groups will be shooting at each other the 60 percent of the americans that are in the church that believe that it's okay to have abortions They'll be carrying their guns, and they'll be shooting at the other 40% that don't believe so. And there you have a fulfillment of John 16, too. They will kick you out of the churches. Yes, there will come a time that they kill you and think that they have done God a service. But they do this because they don't know the Father nor me. The problem is if you knew Jesus, if you knew the Father, if you knew the love of the Father, if you knew the mercy of Jesus Christ, if you knew what it meant to carry your cross to Golgotha and follow after Jesus, then you wouldn't even think about it. You would have guilt by stepping on a bug for crying out loud. We don't understand who we are in Christ. We are love and light beings. That is who we are. And the second that you twist that to your own lusts, you are you have iniquity. The very belief that it's okay to shoot a gun is iniquity. Iniquity is the foundational perverted belief system that leads to multiple sins. Iniquity is worse than sin because iniquity allows you to think it's okay to shoot bunches of people. An AR-15, I don't care what kind of gun it is. I don't care if it's a knife. I don't care if it's pepper spray. I don't care what it is. If you are picking that up, you are afraid of mankind, and you are not praying against the demons that are controlling the people that are coming after you. You need to be pointing your hand at them and say, you are talking to the demon. You are talking to the mountain, and you point to those people, and you say, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you talk to the demon, and you say, drop those weapons now in Jesus name and you command those demons to drop those weapons because that's not what it's not the people that are carrying the weapons it is the demons that are carrying the weapons and you have authority over those demons and nothing will shall by any means hurt you Luke 12, uh, 19 uh, doggone and I forgot it. it's on a, 1936 or whatever but praise Jesus folks that the words are in the Bible we have to receive it when we start pointing to our governments look go ahead go get sodomized you're right Enjoy yourself, but don't expect to be welcomed into heaven. Same thing with guns. It's right there in the Bible, but we try the most – I believe that one of the most egregious sins is to hunt through your holy Bible to find a verse to justify iniquity is not pleasing to our Father, I can assure you. And I wouldn't be expecting open arms at the beam of judgment seat if you even get that far. 
praise his name. So anyway, on that note, I'll toss it back over to you, Jerry. I love this subject. Hallelujah. It took me a long time to get my arms around somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, your, your point about uh, Luke twenty two thirty six is so important. That, that's part of a teaching we did, and that is still something that's very difficult for people to understand. It's a very difficult thing because, again, back to the point that we really just have an inch of teaching on this topic. It's not like we really have an ocean of teaching. It's not... Like we have a lot of people who focus on this topic to tell us what the Bible says or what history, Christian history is about. This is really a, a largely a silent area. And one of the things we know about Satan is that he has a vested interest in what we remember. Uh, history is such an important thing. And what we choose to remember and what we don't choose to remember tells us a lot about ourselves. It also tells us a lot about what's likely ahead because a fool doesn't learn from his history. And sadly, we haven't learned from our history. So we have killed each other in the Revolutionary War. We killed each other again in the uh, uh, Civil War. Uh, and then, of course, you bring up another idea uh, of another coming Civil War. Uh, there's certainly the rhetoric for it in the political realm. Uh, we're certainly seeing a lot of political ads that are geared towards violence. Sadly, uh, many of these uh, political ads that are violent are usually appealing to Ironically, the, a Christian base, largely a Southern Christian base. Now, this has been the way it has been in America since the very beginning. There were 13, uh, you know, uh, at the time that there were 26 states in the Union, 13 of them were slave states. You know, so if you ever wonder how America just seems to be split right down the middle, it's almost like it has two horns or something, you know. It's almost like it has two horns or something. It has two power centers, and they've been equal for a long time. You've had third parties rise up occasionally, but they usually fail. You have two power centers, and the two power centers today uh, are arguing about many different things. But what Christians shouldn't really be arguing about is whether or not they should be holding a weapon of death. That's not really something that they're allowed or permitted to do. And the reason is, again, is not because God is not right. He is not because he's not just. It's because Jesus is our model. And again, everyone would confess that. They'd say, well, Jesus is our model. And so we have to follow Jesus. And we would also follow the apostles. And so in Luke twenty-two thirty-six, as you bring up, this is one of the most important verses for this topic because, as you point out, people will take that verse and where it says, Jesus said to buy a sword and sell your cloak. And that becomes entirely enough. That becomes what you're going to build your entire uh, doctrine on is the idea that he said by a sword. Well, you can go over to uh, another chapter in, in the Bible and find him saying that you need, you know, the apostles or the uh, disciples need to sell what they have and give it alms to the poor. You know, but I don't see people just r rushing out to do that, right? So they, as you point out, they kind of hunt through the scripture. They find something that sounds like, oh, this might be good. This will uh, back up my, uh, you know, my ability to go out and buy a gun. Now the problem with the gun is that when you, a man with a gun doesn't need faith, and we're called to live by faith. And whatever is not of faith is what? Is sin. So is, is, is gun of faith? No, of course not. I, of course a gun is not of faith. You don't need any faith with a gun, clearly. I mean, it takes out that equation. You don't need to worry. Your gun's going to take care of it, right? And many people cling to guns as people did in the past to their idols. So guns, in many ways, we have rights around them. Uh, people protect those rights. Uh, they feel like they've been given to them by God. So these, these, you know, these guns that we hold, they're much more than meets the eye. There's a spiritual component to this because these things are weapons of death. And every single time one of God's children is shot, uh, 
it breaks his heart. Imagine that you had 30 children. Just imagine just some wild, you have 30 children. And let's say you see them all playing out in your backyard. And then you begin to see them picking up rocks and hurting each other, hitting each other, and then designing weapons of death and killing you. I mean, this is breaking your heart to see your children doing this. And that's exactly what God sees. He sees us engaged in, in innovative ways of killing. When he came and provided a nonviolent path, a nonviolent love of friends and enemies, this is what he taught. This is what he brought. He told he tells his uh, disciples to do the same thing. And when you take 2236 of Luke and you say it says that I can buy a sword, the question is, again, is we have to ask, did the apostles use that sword outside of Gethsemane? Because that's the implication. And you realize, again, I've got to stress this, just in case it wasn't heard before, that if you believe that the apostles carried swords outside of Gethsemane, outside of that moment, outside of the, uh, that night, if you believe that they continued to carry them because Jesus wanted them to carry them for self-defense, and that because they were going to be taking the gospel to the whole world, and therefore they needed a sword, a physical sword, to fend off their enemies, if, if you believe that's what Jesus is saying in Luke 22:36, then in essence, you are implying that the apostles killed with a sword. You are implying that they killed men and plunged the sword into men's bellies or necks or backs. And I know of no single scripture and I know of no early church tradition that teaches that the apostles killed anyone. So the burden of proof is not on me. The burden of proof is not on you, Johnny, because Jesus doesn't carry a sword. The apostles don't carry – they're not killing anybody that we know of. Jesus didn't kill anybody. So, hey, we're just in their – we're in their group. You know, hey, we're going to be with the guys who didn't kill anybody. But the people who come along and say, well, no, I can carry a sword and I can kill somebody, well, now they don't look anything like Jesus for sure, and they certainly don't look like the apostles. So who do they look like? Who do they look like? Well, the, the Bible tells us in John chapter 8, it tells us who the first murderer was, you know, who the first liar was, and we know that he has children. So we don't want to be children of the devil. We don't want to be children of darkness. And children of darkness res resort to weapons of warfare that are carnal, right? They, they fulfill the lust of the flesh. They fulfill the desires of their father. And it is not the father's will that Christians kill Christians for rights, or for any other matter. Just like we would not want to see one of our children kill one of our other children. Of course not. What father would want to see this? No one wants to see this. So there's never a reason for us to do that. If the bad guys are killing people, okay, well, that's what they do. We were told they were going to kill people. We were told we might be killed. We were told that this was going to happen. We were told that we were going to be living in the last days, and it was going to be very difficult, and men would want to kill us. Okay, well, we understand those things. But it doesn't mean that we have to kill before we're killed. We have no verse, no precedent, no model, no pattern, none of it. We have none of it. So our ministry, TrueRichesRadio.com, is all about casting down arguments. It's all about casting down every high thought, thought that it tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. And we know what God wants on this thing. He wants us to love our enemies. He wants us to love our enemies. He knew we were going to have enemies. This is what people, this is where it's so important to, to grasp this. Look at what Jesus is. He says, I'm sending you like sheep among the wolves. He knows what he's doing. 
He knows this is going to be difficult for us. We're the ones who are in the dark about this, apparently. We're the ones who don't know what's going on. He says, I'm going to send you into a very dangerous thing here, right? You're going to have to follow me. You're going to have to follow me through the darkness of this world. Men who are killers are going to be all around you, and I want you to love them. There's going to be people who are evil, and I want you to not return evil to them, right? There's going to be all kinds of manner of problems, and I want you to be light in the darkness, right? I want you to be salt in the earth. I want you to be different. I want you to preserve this wicked world, not by being wicked, not by unequally yoking with unbelievers and following their ways, but instead by shining the light of Jesus to these people. And Jesus's light does not involve a sword. Jesus ran into demon-possessed people. And when he did, he didn't kill them, right? That wasn't the first thing that he did. He said, oh, I got to kill this demon-possessed man, right? Of course not. Well, the man who runs in and starts committing a mass shooting, we could say he's probably demon-possessed. He's probably demon-possessed. Well, would, do we think that the apostles killed demon-possessed people? I mean, is this our theology today? Have we become this depraved that we actually believe that it's okay to kill demon-possessed people? Just kill them? Is that what, the, is that what Jesus did? did? Did we have no higher way? We just have to resort to the world's way. We just got to kill them, I guess. We have to just kill them with a weapon. Well, that's, that's what we do. That's, the Bible tells us clearly that's not what we're supposed to do. So if these men are demon-possessed, then we really probably shouldn't be killing them because we have no precedent for killing demon-possessed people in the, ever. I mean, that's, that's completely foreign to the Scripture. Again, I, I can't, I, it cannot be said enough that those who cling to a gun and the Bible, are, are, they are a part of church history, but they're on the side of church history that looks that that is that is something that we don't want to repeat it's not good to kill fellow christians it's not it's not okay it's not okay to kill our enemies it's not okay to kill anyone this is the message of jesus and if we will follow the prince of peace then we can be a light in this darkness we may not live forever we may not live a full life but neither did paul neither did jesus neither did Peter, they didn't live their best life now. They laid down their life because they followed him. If you follow him, if you really, really follow him, you will face persecution. You will be, just like we're doing now, we're bringing up guns. We're going to be persecuted, Johnny, for, for not towing the line and saying, of course you can carry a gun. Of course God wants you to be able to kill people before they kill you. Of course, that, that's, that, we're going to be attacked for that, right? Just like you said, it's a courageous message. Well, the whole Christian message is a, courage, a courageous message. The whole thing requires courage because the world hates the light. It's exposed by the light. And Satan wants us in the dark. He wants to be in the dark. He was exposed by Jesus. People say, well, the Satan was, the Satan was uh, despoiled by Jesus. He was. He was exposed. He was brought to light. But Satan has wiggled his way back into the darkness because we are the ones who are supposed to be shining the light on him. We are supposed to be shining the light on him and exposing those works of darkness. But instead, we're so caught up with the world's way of fighting. So for many of us, you know, it's a, a political party. It's that political party. That's the problem. Or it's this over here. Or it's a, No, 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 no. It's Satan. You have a real enemy, right? And you have to put on your uh, spiritual armor. But we say, no, we have to pick up weapons of warfare that are carnal to kill our enemies that are this political party. I mean, again... This is not Christianity, and we're slipping in this direction, and we need pastors who are listening to this right now. We need you to get in your pulpits and tell your people 
to put their guns down because otherwise your silence on this matter is going to help create what's going to be the next revolution in this country because you did not tell your people that you are not supposed to pick up an arms uh, for any reason whatsoever because the government says. We don't do that. We follow a, a higher calling. We have a different master, and he, he calls us to put the gun down. He tells us to sheath the sword. We need pastors to tell their flocks on the, teach their flocks on this message. We need them to teach what the Bible says and what the New Testament says. And if we don't, if you study the uh, Revolutionary War, for example, uh, and you study the top verses that were used by the pul- in the pulpits during that time, you'll find that they appeal a lot to the Old Testament. And this is why we need good, sound teaching on this in times where we're not at each other's throats killing each other, like the Civil War, American Revolutionary War, is because that way we can actually know uh, what these false teachers were teaching to instigate this stuff, right? Much of the Civil War and much of the Revolutionary War was enabled by the pulpits that were twisting Scripture to tell people they were okay, just fine, to kill fellow Methodists, right? Hey, you're, you're a Methodist, it's okay to, or you know, whatever the uh, case might be. People killing people from the same church, and the pulpits were just fine with it, right? This will happen again if we're not, if we're not careful. We need very sound teaching on this, and we need, it, we need it yesterday, right? So pastors out there, I implore you to share this message with your people and encourage them to see that Satan's design here is for them to use the tactics and the weapons of carnality and to use the weapons of war. This is how he wins. He gets us to commit sins. He gets us to commit sins out of fear of man. We can't be motivated by fear of man. That's not an option for Christians. We have to be motivated by a fear of God. And, you know, I, I struggle with so many things, Johnny. You know, I'm no perfect person. Jesus is perfect. I look at what he calls us to do. I look for the Holy Spirit to enable me. I'm no superman. But I, I, I can read what he says. He says to put the sword up. He tells Peter to put it away when he tries to use it. Johnny... There was never anyone more innocent on the earth than Jesus Christ. When Peter picked up the sword to defend Jesus, how can anyone who carries a gun say he did something wrong? How can anyone say that he did something wrong who carries a gun today? Jesus was the most innocent person who ever walked the earth. Of course Peter should have tried to protect that innocence. Would you not try to protect your innocent grandchild? Would you not try to protect your innocent... uh, So look at the epitome of innocence here. Jesus Christ... Peter picks up a sword to protect Jesus? We should applaud him, right? He's doing the right thing, right? He's protecting innocence, right? He's, this is the whole point of having a sword, right? And Jesus says, no, put it up, right? You say, what, what did Peter do wrong? He's defending innocence. He's doing the right thing. He's being the good guy in the story. And that's, that's not what it is. It turns out instead that Peter is not to use that sword. And by the way, that carries interesting implications for the seat of Peter today, which the Pope claims to sit in. The Pope should keep in mind that when, whenever he said to Peter, put the sword away, that also counts for the Popes. And those Popes who have sat in the seat of Peter and who have used and wielded the sword, that is a, that is a whole other story. But it's not just the Popes who have done it. It's been Protestant leaders who have done it, right? We're, we're all guilty. 
we're all guilty of this. And the way we go forward, the way we go forward here is we stop digging a hole. And we put these guns down. We ask and we repent and say, God, we don't want to rely upon the sword. We want to rely upon your, your strength. You are our peace. You are our rock. You are our strong tower. You are our fortress. We will put on the armor of God. We will be defended. If God, if Satan takes us out, then we are going to be with you to live as Christ and to die as gain. But we're not going to allow the fear of man to cause us to go sin and go kill someone before they have a chance to kill us. That can't be our motivation as Christians. We have to have a different standard than the world. That's the world's standard. That can't be our standard. Well, boy, I could go on for hours with you. Um, So, as I've said many times, we want to try to be as much like Jesus as possible. The longer the devil has to erode, look, look at this world. So to those of us who can grasp something as simple as this, go back to the 30s, go back to the 40s. Was it, were Christians perfect back then? No, they weren't. Was prayer and more godly behavior and more godly attitudes pervasive in the government and the school system and everything else? Everyone would agree yes. What we do know if we analyze history is that over the length of history from the cross till today, there has been a continuous and noteworthy erosion of Christ-like behaviors over these last 2,000 years. Anyone who is a fan, particularly those who are our history buffs that have read books such as the Fox's Book of Martyrs or the Pilgrim Church or uh, Heretic Lives, and you have spent some time understanding who the Bogomils were, if you've spent any time at all understanding the behaviors of the early church, if you've read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, you realize that the vast majority of the Christians who were put to death were put to death in peace. And that they sung songs holding the hands of their children as they walked up to the very stakes that they were to be burned at. And it was that level of faith unto death with their children hand in hand which led the marauders that were to murder them to ultimately give their lives to Jesus and become the next group of apostles and are the next group of missionaries that would go into to proselytize Asia. The very mercenaries that were sent to slaughter the Bogomils were sent by Pope Innocent III, and they fell to their knees and cried out to Jesus in repentance when they watched the people that they burned to death with their children and saw the such fate because they couldn't believe what they saw. And that is exactly how it works. The first sign in the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs of any Christian picking up a weapon is the Polisians hundreds of years later because Satan infiltrated their camps and the fear of the devil got into their hearts. They forgot who they were in Christ. When we study these things and we understand the behaviors of the early church, which is as close to being Christ-like as you're going to get as a human, then you understand who we actually are. And we believe the power that we've been given out in Christ. We know what Philippians 3.20 means. Okay, we understand that, that the power that works in us, we, we understand that we are essential. Oh, my goodness, this is a big – I mean, this is – look, 
Want to know what a Christian in, in today's world looks like in a, in a war situation? Watch the movie Hacksaw Ridge. There's your, there's your true Christian, Hacksaw Ridge. God always does a wonderful job of letting us know. Look, I could, I'm not going to take up the time tonight to play it because it's about a five-minute long clip, but I'll tell you this. If you look out there, and I, let me see if I can give you at least a name so you can hunt it down because I do have the, uh, the actual snapshot of the um, uh, uh, testimony of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, here it is. Okay, so search YouTube for these words. Quote, Charles Spurgeon sermon hyphen waiting only upon God. Now, I'll give you the short version. Spurgeon was taken on a tour of the Irish wars by another preacher or believer, and he was taken into the war-torn regions of where the homes of the local people were. And in his tour of the, of the land, as they walked amongst the houses that were damaged and destroyed by cannonballs and different war machinery, I guess you'd call it, Spurgeon took a note that there was a group. He said out loud, there, he said, I take note and I see that all of these houses over here are undamaged. He made note that the apple trees and the fruit trees that were growing in the backyards of those homes were bowing over with an abundance of fruit, which I think is in, a, in, a, in Hosea, I'm pretty sure. That's a prophecy in Hosea. He asked the tour guide for an explanation. I believe, if I recall correctly, they went into one of the homes that was undamaged. I'm not exactly sure of this, but I believe these were also Puritans, but they were of similar faith. And the man of the house came out. He was shaking and he was afraid because the marauders of the uh, war machine had just left the area. The story that the man gave, the testimony that the man gave to Charles Spurgeon directly was as follows. He said... He explained how some of the soldiers had come into his house, that he had offered food and, and sustenance to the soldiers, that the soldiers that were of the opposite side, the enemy of the local region, noted that there was a holy Bible on the shelf behind the man who owned the house. They asked him to pull out the Holy Bible, and they read some scriptures from the Holy Bible together. They gave the soldiers food, and the, food, and the soldiers left everything untouched, and thanked them. Spurgeon noticed that there were two homes in the neighborhood that were burnt to the ground. And he asked the tour guide, why are those two homes burned to the ground and the rest of them are not? And the guide told Spurgeon, well, the reason is those two people, the people that lived in those two homes, had guns. They had iniquity in their hearts. They did not trust God. They did not have faith in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power in the name of the Lord Jesus. They transferred their faith for fear of man, which opens up 
as wide as the Pacific. Now the devil has the right to attack them. Now the devil does not. He, they have forfeited their protection from the Lord Jesus Christ. They have forfeited their power. They have made an idol out of the guns, and their homes were destroyed. Nobody else's were. Just those two homes. Oh, but I only use them for hunting on occasion. Right. Tell that to the Russian soldier that just paratrooped out of a, uh, you know, TU-95. It is the power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that holds dominion over all things on this earth. And it is the weakness of the flesh that would lead somebody to think that anything else could be more powerful. When the scripture says something, see, when your eyes are open to these things and you know these are absolutely true, from the very bottom of your heart, the entire Holy Bible takes on a whole nother level of meaning. Now when we read Matthew 16:25, it has a completely different and horrific scary meaning. When it says, when Jesus said, for whoever will save his life shall lose it. Now, let's just pause a second and consider what he was saying. If you save your life on this earth, Jesus is telling you that you are going to lose it. What life is he talking about? Your eternal life. That's what he means. So when he says whoever saves his life by shooting people up, you're going to lose your eternal life. That Jesus always spoke in the context of the eternal, which is why people become befuddled about the words that he said because they don't understand it in the flesh. For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, because you believe in Jesus and the peace and the love of the Father, and, you're, and, 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 and the grave has no hold over you whatsoever. And that you are willing to, to lay down your life. The problem that we have is we don't teach our children true Christ. If we taught our children, our families, and did what the Christians over in other countries, Syria, by the way, is a great example. If you're a Syrian Christian, you teach your children that you're probably going to die. And your children embrace it. And they're fine with it. But not here. Not here, because this is a fallen country known as Babylon the Great, and it's going to fall hard, and it's going to be burned to sea, to shining sea in Revelation 18. And guess whose hand's going to take care of it? At the will of the Father, Russia. Hallelujah. So guess what, folks? You're either going to be with Jesus to your death, or you are going to run the greatest risk you have ever taken for your eternity that any so-called Christian could, refer, could, could consider. The scripture is overwhelmingly very clear that we love to the very day that we die. Read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read uh, heretic, uh, uh, you know, heretic lives. Read the, the uh, uh, Pilgrim Church. Understand how they behaved. Understand how the Bogomils behaved when Pope Innocent's mercenaries rode by horseback to slaughter the villages. Understand how they behaved. And if we aren't behaving like that, we have missed 
the mark. Praise his holy name. Thank you, Jesus. So these are things that are just powerful, powerful messages. Once your eyes are opened, you will not, you can't, you can't get away from it. Every scripture that you read, and you, you go, once you, once you learn this, this, this particular message, and you go back and you start from the beginning of the Gospels all the way to the end, you are going to see a whole nother scripture. It will raise up your level of holiness and righteousness and the understanding of the spiritual, I'm sorry, I ought to say the spiritual understanding of the scripture to a level that is part of the Godhead beyond this earth. We need to start acting like the Godhead right now, not tomorrow, because guess what? Why do you think in the parable of the, of the wise and foolish virgins, why do you think that it was too late for the foolish virgins to go back and buy more oil? Because sanctification, holiness, and the love of Jesus isn't something that happens overnight. It's something that happens to you over time, prayer, and tears. And yes, that is a fact. Jesus was right. There will be no time. Once all this ugly hits this planet, at the, and we already see it going on now, we already know that God, he that restrains has been taken out of the way. Well, guess what? He that restrains, he didn't restrain the pandemic. That was the first global judgment that has happened to this earth, you know, uh, uh, you know argu- arguably to the, the entire earth, um, more so than the Spanish flu, uh, not saying by the numbers. I'm talking about by the, uh, by the amount of countries that it affected. But the point is, right now, when we look at what's happened today, it's the first major global judgment, the things, the fires that are burning in countries, the, the uh, pestilence, the famine, the, the wars and rumors of wars, the intensity, the impact of them. They are so much more greater a magnitude right now than since Noah's flood. There's no doubt in anyone's mind, unless they're completely asleep at the wheel and in den- denial, that where we stand today, as far as what Jesus warned us about in the Olivet Discourse, we are already, we're there. We've checked pretty much all the boxes. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, and we need to brace for that. But part of bracing for that is knowing who we are in Christ, teaching our children who we are in Christ, and helping our families and everyone involved understand that it is Serving God in the most glorious way to lay down our lives for the salvation of just one more soul. That is our calling. Praise his name. Jerry? You still there? Or did he drop? <laughs> I wasn't looking at the console. Hopefully he didn't drop. Oh, no, he did drop. Hold on a second. Four, seven. Okay, but he didn't call back in. Oh, man. All right. So given the time is 10 after 9 and we only had scheduled him. To, wait, 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 wait. There he is. Hold on. Thank you, Jesus. Um Wait, waiting for. Okay, hey Jerry, sorry, I saw that you dropped, and I wasn't sure if you were going to call back in. But anyway, I passed the mic back over to you. <laughs> Praise God. Oh sure, I was uh, listening to you off the uh, off the air there, but I'm back on now. Yeah, I really enjoyed what you had to say. Um, I, I think the uh, you know the the thing to really kind of sum up from my perspective 
uh, is the fact that we really are called to put on that armor of God. And those who, those who do want to, uh, I think the, the, the desire we have to be armed is, is proper. Uh, we are to be armed. Uh, Satan wants to pervert that desire to be armed, to resort to carnal uh, weapons. And as we had pointed out earlier, Jesus had said, my kingdom is not of this world, and if it were, my servants would be fighting. And so therefore, uh, being armed is biblical. Uh, it is part of the New Testament. We are told uh, what to wear uh, in Ephesians chapter 6. But uh, none of those things that we are to wear include anything that is an invention of evil. In fact, there's no law against any of the things that we're wearing. Uh, and the thing is, is that we are called to put on that whole armor of God that we'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And this is why Satan wants us to choose another weapon. It's because when we put on our spiritual armor, it's designed to thwart him. Uh, we do have an enemy here. When we read the book of Job, Job, I believe, is a great microcosm of the Old Testament in the fact that you have a man who is a righteous man. He believes in God. He sacrifices to God. And terrible things happen to him. And he doesn't know why. Uh, he has friends who come and talk to him, and they're all wise men, but none of them really know why. And all of them blame God. But the irony is, is that we know when we read the book of Job that it's not God who's doing these things. It's, this, you know, it's Satan who's doing these things. And all throughout the Old Testament, we have something similar. We see the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. We know he's there. We're introduced to him. But it's not all the way until Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, that we learn who this serpent really is. He, we, we learn that it is that serpent who is the devil. But he's also the dragon in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. So he's the old serpent. Well, Satan was in the garden, and what we have to realize is that he's not just in the garden. When he slithers away, he is going to be on every page. He is in chapter 4 of Genesis, where Cain kills Abel. He's right there. We may not see him. He may not get mentioned, but this is how he operates. He's always on every page of the Old Testament. So when you're reading through, and you see Job and all of his friends blaming God for absolutely everything, you're realizing that there's no one really realizing that an enemy named the devil uh, is doing a lot of harm here. The prophets do not tell us to put on the whole armor of God because the prophets do, do not fully see because Jesus is the final revelation. He is the full culmination of all of the knowledge of God. And so when Jesus comes, he reveals something to us that the prophets did not know. They longed to know this. They longed to see it, but they didn't know. Jesus comes along and starts talking about the devil. Now, the devil is not a concept you're going to find in the Old Testament hardly anywhere. In, in the book of Job, we concede also in Genesis chapter 3, and there's a few other places where he appears. But largely speaking, he is not blamed for much of what is happening in the Old Testament. But when Jesus comes, he pulls the curtain back, and he exposes and says, you have an enemy. And he even says in the model prayer, you know, deliver us from the evil one, protect us from the evil one. Where is this in the Old Testament? What prophet told you to protect yourself from the evil one? Jesus is shining light on darkness here, and Satan had had been running roughshod over humanity for thousands of years. Jesus came to defeat the works of Satan, and he did that by exposing them and putting them to public shame. Satan loves the dark. He wants to traffic in the dark. He wants to stay in the dark. And that's why 
not only do people not believe in God today, but even fewer believe in the devil. And that's the ratio that Satan likes. He prefers that no one believe in him. He doesn't want any attention whatsoever. But in reality, he has done a whole lot in this age, and we have not given him credit for it, right? So we have been killing each other. We have been killing uh, other groups of people. Uh, we, have been in, we have been guilty of turning the guns on our own fellow brothers and sisters over rights, but not realizing who the true enemy is. Satan, all the while receiving glory out of all of this bloodshed, all of this Christian bloodshed, mocking God, showing God, saying, look at what your people are doing to each other. Look how easy it is to make them kill one another and slaughter. Look how easy it is to make them disobey you. And he appeals to our lusts. When he appealed to Eve in the garden, his tactics are the same. Paul says they're the same thing. We are not ignorant of his wiles. This is why we put the armor on. He doesn't want us to put the armor on. He wants us to pick up the AR-15, but he doesn't want us to put the armor of God on. Because the armor of God is designed to protect against him. And he's the one who will motivate the mass shooter. He is the one who will motivate the killer. So if we have protection against him and we don the armor of God, it doesn't mean that we may not die before, we may not live, all, live to be 90 years. We may be you know, someone who doesn't live that long. But our success is not wrapped up in the number of years we lived. If so, Jesus failed because he only lived 33. If so, you know, Paul failed because he didn't live a full, robust life. But it's not about the number of years that we live. It's about the number of quality years we spend following the Lord. And as you brought up about sanctification, it is a process. And if you're listening to this tonight, and you say, you know, I have a gun, and this has convicted me. I've never really thought about it this way. I want you to, to realize that I, I was in your shoes, right? I was a Christian for years with a gun next to my, my head. I, I kept it uh, in my closet, a loaded shotgun, because I lived in fear of man. And I was a Christian. And I do believe that I was a Christian. But, but as, as God showed me this, I realized the fear that I had had gripped me. And I want you to know that there's no shame in putting that gun down. There's no shame in putting that gun down and saying, I'm going to trust the Lord. And even if it takes you a couple of weeks, pray about it. Pray about what you've heard tonight. Don't let it go in in one ear and out the other. As John, as John just said, this is a message that is so pivotal to your, to your spiritual life. This is one thing that Satan wants to trick you on so much. And this is one thing that he has succeeded with for centuries, is getting us to view each other as the problem. The truth is, is that you and I, and the people that we face, our enemies, are not the real problem. Satan is the real problem. He is going to be. He is still not in the bottomless pit. He is still. He is still has to be dealt with, right? We still face an enemy. He still prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and he he traffics in the dark. And so we need to shine the light on him by putting on the armor of God, and not resorting to physical weapons. And therefore glorifying him and giving him exactly what he wants is for us to break the commandments of God. He wants to see us break the commandments of God. That's his war against us. His war, many times people will look at the, uh, the book of Revelation and they assume that it all has to be extremely gloomy. And, and much of it is. But in reality, we, we know Satan's tactics is that he's going to try to deceive even the elect. So his modus operandi is not designed to deceive the unbeliever. It's designed specifically to deceive the elect. So it's going to come in the name of God. And as we started this conversation, gun, uh, guns 
Gun rights, we are told, are God-given. The propositions put forth by the slave-holding founding fathers who gave us these ideas about the right, that God had gave us a right to have a gun, that God gave us a right to say whatever we want, that God gave us a right to print whatever we want, that God gave us a right to you know, think whatever we want. You know, the, all these ideas, of course, that scratches the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Of course, oh, I can carry a gun. I can say what I want. I can print what I want. Yeah, that sounds great. That's what God wants. And remember, when Satan comes, just like he came to Eve, he, he wants to associate God with it. Well, God wants you to have this. So, God, so he comes with a God-given uh, mystery in the last days, a mystery of lawlessness, telling us that God wants us to give us something. It's been 1,700, 1,800 years since Jesus left, and then here comes Satan as an angel of light saying, here, God wants to give you this. And here the United States is the richest empire on the face of the planet. No one's ever been richer. No one ever has had more. And here we are, completely unhappy. Here we are completely broken. Here we are completely fractured. The whole world sees it. The truth of the matter is, is that America can't save you. No political party is going to save you. Your gun will not save you. Your gun will not save you. The only thing that can save you is a trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But even that has to be followed up by obeying his commands. The Great Commission does not simply say, go forth and teach everyone you know, my name and baptize them, but also to teach them, do all the things that I commanded you. We have to do things. That is, love our enemies. That is, forgive those who offend us. And we also have to not kill. Why? Because Jesus didn't kill. Why? Because the apostles didn't kill. And they're our model. And we have to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, not to the obedience of John Locke. We don't have to bring our thoughts into obedience of Thomas Jefferson. We don't have to bring our thoughts into the obedience of George Washington. We have one master, one master. We can't be conflicted here. We have to follow Jesus. It's tough. It's, it's not the easy road. It's not the broad road. It is the narrow road. It is hard. It is difficult. And few there be that find it. But we must follow that road. And that road looks like Jesus, and it looks like the apostles. And the apostles were not killing other people. And I think uh, for those who are still conflicted on this message, I want you to dwell upon the number of people that you believe that the apostles used those swords on. If you're still conflicted and you say, I still think the apostles probably carried swords for self-defense, ask yourself tonight as you go to bed or tomorrow or just think about this message, how, what's the number of people that you think the apostles did use the sword on? What number? And if, you're, if that number is zero, then what you have admitted is that the apostles may have carried swords, but they also lived in the most, one of the most dangerous times of all time, and they were killed with the sword, but they never resorted to using the sword. When you put that logic together, you realize that it doesn't matter if they carried them if they never used them. And so if they never used them, then there's no argument to be made that they carried them because they didn't use them. So if they didn't use them, then we don't have a right to use them. A, uh, a servant is not greater than his master. Jesus didn't use it. The apostles didn't use it. We have no precedent to pick up the sword. We do have a precedent to be killed with the sword, and we do have a precedent to pick up our cross. But in exchange for all of that, we receive eternal life. 
So the temporal things that we would protect here with a carnal weapon are not to be preferred over those things that will be given to us in eternity, even though we suffer, suffer temporal loss in this life. Amen. Praise God. And I'll, I'll share this with you since we're coming to the closing last seven minutes of the program, folks. I'm just going to testimony time, right? Um, you know, I'm a Navy's, I'm a, I'm a United States certified Navy marksman. I got my ribbons and all that kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, I could, I could shoot a, a, a pill bottle out of a tree at 100 yards with a 22 easily. Now, all that being said, it's irrelevant. What I'm going to share with you is a testimony. Real quick, I'll give you the ultra, ultra short version. The Satan sent someone to my house for the purpose of killing me. It's a long testimony. It's fascinating. I could write a book. I'll spare you. Now, after this ordeal was over and the police came and da-da-da-da-da-da, state attorney's office, this, that, and the other thing, I went through a period of human fear. So I decided, having preached against the guns for a lawful long time, that I was going to go ahead and get some pepper spray and a stun gun. And I hung them by the front door. And the Spirit of the Lord came over me in great clarity and said, As long as those hang in your door, do not expect my protection. Get rid of them. And looking at these brand new and rather expensive, non-lethal accoutrements hanging at my front door, I picked them up, walked them out, and threw them into the trash directly. When you have faith in earthly weapons, do not expect for not even a nanosecond the tiniest wisp of help from God. That's my testimony from me to you. At your own peril, ignore it. I don't take tithes and offerings. I haven't for 11 years. I do this show because I love you, and I don't want to see not one of you suffer beyond beyond anything. I don't want any of us to suffer. As scripture says, Jesus said to the 19 people that he, that he sent out, I believe it was 19, but anyway, um, uh, no, the 70, that he sent out. Remember, this is Luke 10. This is before Pentecost. This is before the cross. He calls 70 sinners out of the crowd, and he sends them out two by two. They come back. Their minds are blown. They can't believe that the name of Jesus will scatter the demons, and people are being delivered and healed, and wow, wow. And Jesus says, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now remember when Jesus speaks, he speaks in the eternal realm. Does that mean that you might not die? Does it mean that you might not get hung upside, upside down on a cross like Peter? That, what does it mean? What does all this mean? What, you know, do we, what happened? You know, how many people have had soldiers enter into their cul-de-sacs and searching houses and the people that were praying? And I, I have endless, endless, endless testimonies in books and in autobiographies and in bi- biographies of 
godly, godly people through World War II and such that hid behind curtains should have been easily seen by the, by the uh, Nazi soldiers searching their homes. And they prayed, blind eyes, good eyes be turned blind. And those soldiers walked out and never saw them standing behind the curtains. The power that we have by trusting God, the power that we have in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, is so far head and shoulders above anything else. Can you imagine how what peril you bring upon your family by placing trust in an earthly weapon instead of the might of God the Father? As the Lord said to me one day when I got up from my kneeling position in tears, crying because I knew my job was over because I was doing this radio show. People were sticking knives in my back, you know, metaphorically speaking. Websites were going up, all the kinds of things that would end up putting me in utter and absolute poverty. And I was horrified and in fear. And God said, as I got up, wiping the tears from my eyes, praying to God for his protection, he said, one sentence to me that I will never forget very clearly. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? If you do not know who our Father is, then you are woefully unprepared for the days ahead. Learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and trust him so that you can receive the benefits of his protection. Our Father's quid pro quo, and there's an expectation on our behalf for all of the promises of his divine protection in the Holy Bible. Look at those promises, read the scripture, find the requirement that you must in order to receive God's protection and live within the safety of his hands. Because the praying saint is the one who holds heaven's power, heaven's angels, and heaven's glory at their behest. That is the design of the kingdom of our God. And we are Jesus on this earth. Praise his name. Would you like to close with a prayer for us tonight, Brother Jerry? What a powerful, awesome, awesome message. And again, do share with everybody where they can go uh, to find more information about your ministry. Thank you so much for joining us. You bet. You bet, Johnny. Let me uh, go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for this uh, time we've had today. Father, I thank you for the hearer. Lord, let this message find good ground. Let it grow much fruit. Father, I know there's people who are listening. There are people who have heard this tonight who have been convicted. There are people tonight who have heard this who have never heard these arguments. They've needed to hear this. They've needed to hear these things. Father, let them not forget them. Bear and grow much fruit for your kingdom. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. And for those who are interested in uh, reaching out to us, you can find us online at truerichesradio.com. We have many articles and a podcast there. And this is a passion of ours. This is a topic that we talk a lot about. I think it's a topic that needs more uh, airtime. 
And I want to thank you for uh, having us on and for letting us talk about this very neglected topic. Thank you for the opportunity. (laughs) Uh, Woe unto me if I had not jumped at the opportunity. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So thank you so much, Jerry. Uh, Brother Jerry Robinson, uh, again, the message really is, you know, it kind of answers its own self, but it says our guns, God's, you know, it writes uh, God-given, and we know the answer. They're not. And, and we just thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. We pray that it just, that every single listener of this program will we supernaturally receive it deep into their heart and understand the true love of the Father and of the Son and that vengeance belongs to our Father alone. Love and touching and feeding and that is what belongs to us, even to our enemies. Read Romans 12 tonight before you go to bed. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us. Tonight is Sunday, July the 24th, 2022. Yes, we are in absolute amazement that we are still on this earth, but nevertheless, we occupy. See you this Wednesday, 7 p.m., Lord willing. Thank you, Brother Jerry. God bless you all. God bless. Lord, we come to you with repentant hearts. We seek you with all our might. Sinners set the mercy of grace. Redeemed we are by your embrace. Praise his holy name. Praise the King of Kings. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? For you we will endure until you come back for your bride to set her free. Write our names in your book of life. We are cleansed through your holy sacrifice. As we lift your name on high. Renew our mind. Renew our soul. Remove the scars from our past. And deem us righteous. We rebuke all deceptive lies. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? Till then we will endure. We are the branches on a living tree. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? Till then we will endure. Until you come back for your bride to set her free. Watch us as we trim our wicks. Our lamps are full. Our hearts are right. Like those five wise virgins we will be. Your bride awaits the Patiently. 
Longing for that blessed sound That will rise The churches gather We're praying that We're worthy, Lord To join our family When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? We will endure And while we wait we will bring forth the fruit of the light of Christ. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? Till then, we will. Praise the Lord, everyone. Welcome to God's Holy Seven Channel. I'm Sister Barbara. Well, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Good night, everybody. I'm not going to, I was going to play the, uh, uh, I will lift my obedient children to the clouds, for they shall see my glory. But <laughs> my typing isn't working, for, working out well for me. So God bless you all. We'll see you Wednesday night, Lord willing.